fiore That's right Ooh, look out, y'all. You're listening to the Shit Musicians Say Podcast with your host, Steve Dixon Who in the fuck is Steve Dixon? I heard him I take my hand Look at him no, 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 mister, please You can't bring a bad boy to his knees Got a subtle way to say it out of town the preacher down Welcome back to the Shit Musician Say Podcast This episode, we're going to be kicking off the Hair Metal Chronicles Which we hope to be a uh, reoccurring theme at least for a couple episodes and what better way to kick that off than with my friend and drummer, Ron Ivanjack from Texas. Uh, Ron recently met me in Minneapolis, Minnesota for the Rock Timber Festival where we watched quite a few uh, hair bands and then discussed. Um, there are a few uh, audio issues in this, so bear with me and I'll do what I can to uh, take care of those. But without further ado, we're going to get right into this because this one ran a little long, so... Enjoy. Chronicles Volume 1 with the GPS in the background. Driving from Minneapolis Airport to the uh, famous Dave's along the way. So we'll have an interruption. So wherever we're at, we'll stop and pick a song from whatever we're talking about and we'll do that. So let's see, where, where should we'll start here? What about number 10? Number 10. Well, yeah. Let's do. Uh, I want to do just kind of bullshit first and we'll do the top 10 towards the later so in half a mile origins of hair metal what do you attribute the genre to i have some thoughts but i I, uh... was not not prepared for this question well so i mean i think obviously it was a combination of the music that was going on the uh, the heavy metal as it were combined with some of the more popular elements so it was a little more accessible you know, than say a Black Sabbath or something like that to the, to the masses, and then it had, of course, the visual appeal that the ladies were also fond of, also a fan of. Tight pants. So you had the mixed sort of mixed audiences, which you weren't seeing in, in like a, like a rush, right, where the right. audience would be all dudes. I think you know you heard there was a lot of 50-50 mixes uh, because the the men were attractive and looked a little bit like ladies. Hmm. Interesting perspective. Um, what are some of the bands like I, I'm kind of like reaching back into the 70s like as far as foundational type stuff like a couple of my notes are like Led Zeppelin you had Led Zeppelin for like the higher vocals and then obviously maybe some of the hair and the guitar hysterics if you want to use that so what are what some of the bands you attribute to like the Filtering down into being in 0.1 miles, keep left into uh, 
Uh, you know, I think it was, I think stuff like, uh, like T-Rex mm. in the suite. Good one. Good ones. Uh, you know, where they had, it was, it had some pop to it. You know, it had, it had a little bit of, a little bit of heaviness, but it had, had pop to it. But then also there was the visual representation right. from, from some of those bands. You know, I mean, even, I guess David Bowie, even a little bit before that. You know, you throw in some Kiss and some Alice Cooper, and, like, it was kind of a, a mixture of those elements. Yeah, absolutely. Keep left. I, I think there's, like, uh, there's a little, maybe, a, in a quarter of a mile. there, and then you have... Keep right. Damn you, GPS. Um, in 0.1 miles, uh, keep right. That bitch ain't gonna shut but up. But Becky hates that. I, I, I need it. <laughs> um, so, maybe the and the showmanship right. of something like uh, a kiss to uh, top it all off with, like, as far as the showmanship and the actual live shows as well. That's a, yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, I think... They definitely took it a step from from those those influences, right? Because while you had more accessible songs, um, you know the accessible visuals, but you also had a lot of technical proficiency as well. Yeah. You know, you had I mean, basically, you know, virtually every every one of those bands had a, a shredder or semi shredder guitar player. So the you know the song structures were were, were pretty easy, very 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 sing-songy, but usually you had some pretty technical guitar solos in there, and of course, the, the uh, introduction of the Floyd Bruce Whammy Bar, and Van, Van, I mean Van Halen, kind of, I wouldn't necessarily call them glam, but, uh, but they obviously were, they were probably, actually, that's probably the bridge from what I was talking about earlier, that was probably the most direct bridge, I think, maybe. So, the, I've heard it said, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but, um, Quiet Riot with Metal Health being the first band that was like to have a number one album and a number one hit in the genre. Like they're supposed to be the you know the jumping off point for what would be the hair metal genre. I'd agree. And that, and that, I, that was my first hair metal. I did a quote mark. That was my first hair metal cassette. Yeah. And when Metal Health came out. Interesting. I would. I. I feel like. With the showmanship and, like I said, the guitar uh, proficiency, I would almost track it back to Van Halen. But I mean, in one mile, uh, it's hard to say. It's, I mean, the genre didn't exist at that point. But that was, I mean, those guys when they came out. There was nothing like it. You know, and I'm not trying to get on like a Van Halen, like sucking those guys off uh, rant. Although they're for their but I don't know I, I, I feel like it's a little lazy to you know name check Quiet Riot because you know they were the first like successful band because it was obviously there was some you know it was formative in a quarter maybe. of a mile Van Halen was right. as formative as, formative as Van Halen was I feel like um A lot more roots there. I don't know. Well, and, and as far as Van Halen goes, exit right. So, um, and, you know, the glam metal bands, 
know, very strong vocals. 0.1 miles. Keep left. <laughs> this bitch is going to drive me nuts. Wait for it. Yep. Wait, wait for it. Keep left. Okay. Uh, you can talk for 0.3 miles. Do it! The Black Metal Band's had very strong lead vocals. And let's face 0.1 miles. Exit right. Let's face it, David Lee Roth, while a tremendous showman and, and you know, funny as hell, as a vocalist, Exit not, right. not great. Not great. I would agree 100%. Kevin, De Kevin Dubrow, you know, was a strong vocalist. Yeah. Although, ugly motherfucker. <laughs> uh, had some fantastic but, wigs later on, for sure. Rest in peace. Sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good point. You know, Dave, I read, uh, God, what's the guy's name? Uh, Ted Templeman's book. Oh, and that was something he, uh, he had said was, you know, while Van Halen was great, he was like, I really had... You know, some apprehension about that guy, you know, being on a, you know, a nationally released album. <laughs> I'm not sure how he put it, but he uh, kind of echoed my sentiments very much as far as ODLR was concerned. I don't really have any good transitions left, but there was, there's a lot in my top ten that I don't feel like... Like, there's definitely hair bands. I don't want to say, like, your Poison, your Warren, and your Bon Jovi's. Like, those, to me, or Bon Jovi's maybe more of a pop band, but, you know, you definitely had bands that were hair bands. And I, the reason I bring this up is I feel like a lot of the stuff in my top ten, like, I feel like it got caught up because that was such a a big genre at the time, they just got lumped in with everybody, and the one big example, and these guys aren't even in my top ten, but the one big example that I wrote down that came immediately to mind was uh, Queensryche. Mm. Yeah. Where those guys kind of went a little more, you know, they were always taken as a serious band, and for what it's worth, I mean, I don't know, whatever that even fucking means, but, you know, whereas, you know, Poison couldn't have done Operation Mindcrime or Empire, you know, or the, whatever that album was that came out after Empire that was really good, but I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, so, bands like that, like, um, do you feel like a lot of those guys, like, we haven't done the top ten yet, but do you have any bands that you feel like weren't hair metal? Like I don't feel like Guns N' Roses was. I feel like they got they caught the tail end of it. So as an, another example. Well, yeah. So I, I don't want to name drop any bands at this point because I don't want to tip my list. But that yeah, that was a big struggle that I had because right, I mean let's face it when we were because we were I mean we were both going through the scene at the time and I mean it wasn't known as hair metal or glam metal, right? I mean, it was just, I mean, really, it was just kind of called heavy metal. Obviously, right. we knew, okay, this isn't Metallica, but, you know, it didn't, it didn't have a cutesy name. So when I was, when I was doing this, I'm, I'm sitting there just thinking about, okay, well, what's, what are they playing on Hair Nation on Sirius, right? And so, yeah, so yeah, like Guns N' Roses, so like, is that a hair metal band or isn't it? And that's where, when I get to, you know, when I get to my list, I'm, you know, 
I was a little iffy about, well, okay, yeah, I guess, I guess I, at this point, what is known as hair metal, I guess, you know, this band or that band, I guess fits into this, into that mold, and so they're on my list, but there's, yeah, I mean, there's certainly, like you said, I mean, there's a difference between Queensryche and, and, um, and Poison, right, there's a difference between Guns N' Roses and Tesla, right, these bands are very, very different, but they're all kind of now lumped into that moniker, right, and so I, I sort of use that lens, you know. Well, and a guy that we're seeing tonight, um, Sebastian Bach, like, I know, and I've, I've heard him in interviews before, where he hates that term, which a lot of the guys, I'm sure, that, I mean, like, I'm sure Warren, or fuck, the guys from Poison probably fucking hate that term, but it's like, you know, you gotta be kind of honest with yourself at some point, like, you know, Skid Row, maybe, probably, was a hair band. The first it's album. The first album. first album, yeah. For sure. Well, because, I mean, just like grunge, right, I mean, ultimately, it just, it was a marketing, somebody needed a marketing term. Right. Had to package it together and to sell it. And those bands, I mean, like, you go from, like, okay, take, like, I'll say, you know, for lack of a better term, like the big three yet, you know, if we're talking about grunge, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden. Those three bands, to my ear, can't be any fucking different. Yeah. You know, but there was all hung under the same badge, you know. Right. But, yeah, it's a, it's a marketing ploy. And, and, and at the time, right, we were just calling them all alternative. Right, exactly. Until somebody came up with the fucking term. Right. Right, how's that? But, yeah, so... I guess when I'm referring to, to, the, to the genre, I call it glam metal. I don't really call it hair metal. Yeah, I mean, you can say glam metal, hair metal, butt rock, ever, you know, it's... Yeah, whatever. I try, I try to use the less offensive metal. Yeah. I mean, and that denotes, I call it hair metal because, like, you weren't in a fucking record deal unless your hair was halfway down your back. So, that, that's really the only reason I use that term. Glam metal, I think, cuts it down to, like, the bands that wore makeup. Because if you that's go back fair. to glam from the 70s, the only bands that were glam were... You know, New York Dolls, David Bowie was playing for a minute, and, you know, shit like that, the yeah, sweet. That's fair. So, yeah, that, uh, that's true, and if, right, if we were, if, I guess if we were using those terms, Pretty Boy Floyd would be high on my list. Right, but, yeah. Spoiler alert, that shit is not on that the list. That shit is not on the list. Because <laughs> musically, for me, it didn't have the Yeah. Oath. It's funny, because I, there's a book, and I, I, I'll put it in the notes once I, because I can't remember who the author was, but it was like the soundtrack of our youth, and it was a, you know, this guy followed all these hair metal bands, like, this book was published like two years ago, and he was following them still, and Pretty Boy Floyd was one of them, and I mean, I think those guys were from Chicago, maybe, some of them, but like, what a, I mean, they had like, a cover on that album. I went back and listened to it because I was like, okay, this guy. And I was like, no, that was, it was just bad. And I think that's where it came down to, you know, and we can touch more on this when we get to the end, but like, everybody's like, oh, grunge killed hair metal. No, hair metal killed hair, hair metal because, and I could come up with a top 10 list of this, the bands that were just getting signed because they had long hair and really were not fucking good. I've, I've I've got I've got two that I that I jumped on, Spread Eagle, and Every Mother's Nightmare. 
See, like I liked the singles that were on Headbangers Ball. I'm like, all right, I'm in, and I got the out the cassettes, and I'm like, God, this is awful. See, I think, and I, I would agree with you. But, but, the, but the hits were great. Yeah. So, and there was another band, uh, Taketo, that I always. Okay. Loved. Yeah. Yeah. So there was in all these mile. bands. Exit left. At the end of that, that were just getting fucking snapped up and signed, and that genre killed itself because, or the. I should say the record industry did because they were just trying to, they were like, they thought they were going to ride that way forever and they were fucking signing every bullshit band. Yeah. But on, on the Evermother's Nightmare tip, I, I thought those guys were kind of like, you know, if there was a, if there was an album between the first Skid Row and Slave to the Grind, it would have been that musically because it was like, they're kind of a little heavier and. I still kind of like some of the tracks off that album, so I won't completely bash that band like I would Pretty Boy Floyd. Yeah. Or yeah, what was the fucking Spread Eagle song? Uh, Scratch like a cat was a single, and, and that, that song is fucking great. Who was Switchblade Serenade? Wasn't that them? Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, that's the only fucking song I remember from that band. Oh, to insert Scratch like a cat. That song rips. It okay. slaps. It slaps, if, Here, here's, if, here's, if, you will. if you will. Here's another point I want to make. It's, 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 and let, let's not forget the MTV and the, and the influence there, right? I mean, MTV absolutely loved these bands because they were so visual. And so then you had older bands to varying levels of success trying to fit into that mold. So, like, I think, of, and, and again, kind of going back to, to here on... Um, on Sirius, on the, uh, the Hair Nation station, like Crocus and Y&T. Yeah, Y&T, like as soon as you said that, Y&T popped in my head. And from, so for me, I mean, I was not familiar with either one of those bands, you know, from sort of pre-MTV days. I just saw them on MTV, and I'm like, who are these old guys and this that are trying to spin the mold? I hate them. I remember getting a Crocus VHS for Christmas one year from my grandma, and I'm like, this bitch doesn't know me at all. I hate Crocus. <laughs> Have you been talking to my wife? <laughs> but then you have, like, well, and, and again, when I was making my list, kind of struggling with, well, geez, do you put this in there or not, right? Kiss. Kiss admittedly worshipped Bon Jovi. And followed and and the pattern. Used their, I mean, to the point that they used Desmond Child, right. who was like the ghostwriter on half the Bon Jovi shit. Yeah. You know, they, right. they loved it so much that they fucking they were like, okay, well, you know, just follow the formula. And they did, too, because they, you know, as much as that was my era of KISS, because I went back, you know, how everybody gets into KISS, you know, go back in the 70s albums, and then, like, oh, what, what are they doing now? And it's like, holy shit, where they were trailblazers before, they're just fucking following. Yeah. And some of that shit, I mean, it's a very varying level of success as far as some of those albums, because I remember loving them at the time, but I also remember loving Motley day, I'm like, I, I don't understand why on some of those albums, because I'm like, Vince Neil can't sing his wedding way out of a paper set. And the same with the Kiss albums, I'm like, this stuff is borderline terrible. Some of those, like, hair metal albums. But they had, and to the other degree, they had some great songs on them. But the songs that weren't great, I would be fucking embarrassed to have written, you know, let's put the X in sex. Jesus Christ, what a fucking, and I don't know, being uh, terribly offensive to you as much of a KISS fan as you are, but go ahead, well, I digress. 
well, just, uh, just sticking on Kiss for a second. Well, it's, well, it's funny for me, right? I mean, I was a massive, massive Kiss fan since I was four years old. So, mid, you know, mid to late 70s. Please record it ahead. Yep. Um, and, you know, I was, I mean, I was buying records. I mean, I was buying my own records, you know, from, say, 83 on, 82, 83 on. Well, no, 81, because I did buy the yellow one came out. So, I, mean, I was buying my own records with my own money. I never bought Animal Eyes. I never bought Asylum. And I never bought Hot in the Shade. And to this day, I'm like, I don't even know why. Like, I don't know what happened in my, you know, obviously I, I only had a certain amount of money, but I, like, I never answered for Christmas or my birthday. I didn't get those albums until much later. And then I was like, oh yeah, these are crap. I was right. Well, and I mean, I feel like you were probably a fan for longer than I was. Yeah, I mean, especially if you were buying The Elder in 81. So at what point do you feel like that was like maybe backlash as far as like, you know, fuck these guys, they took their makeup off? You know what I mean? Yeah, pr- probably. Probably. Yeah, I'd have to agree. A little off topic, but I mean, it, it does kind of play into the fact that they, you know, they were. You know, depending on which genre you are, which uh, era, Keep left. which era you want to listen to them in, they were a bona fide fucking hair metal band, and they weren't out in front of it. I mean, they were still selling out stadiums based on past glories, but yeah, they were nothing but jumping in the fucking deep end of that shit. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very hard on bands, and I will write bands off. Or, you know, fine, I'll go from this point prior, what I loved him, fine, but going forward, in a dead to me. Of a mile, yeah. keep left. So, this is a good segue because, um, as much as you, you love Kiss and broke them off for that era, did you ever go to see him live? So, I did not, I tried. Um, I was left. I was supposed to see them in 88 on the Crazy Nights tour with a little band called Anthrax. Wow, that's an odd bill. In Maryville, Indiana. And my sister's boyfriend was supposed to take me, and he backed out. Was that Bob? It was not Bob, it was pre-Bob. It was okay. Gene. Um, Damn it, Bob. Bob! Yeah. So, but uh, but the first time I saw Kiss was on the Hot in the Shade tour. Okay, I saw that tour. And I, and I didn't... In I one didn't, mile, exit left. I did not have the Hot in the Shade album. I did not buy a Kiss t-shirt at my first fucking Kiss concert. I don't blame the t-shirt you. that I bought at that show was motherfucking Bastard Pussycat. So, the leg of the tour I saw him on had Slaughter and Winger opening, opening up. Yeah that, was, yeah, that was the second second leg. Yeah, the first leg was, was Slaughter and Faster Pussycat, and then yeah, Faster Pussycat got replaced by Winger. Yeah, I remember being a big Rep, Rep Beach fan at the time. Not that I'm not now, but... Um, I got a guitar... In a quarter of a mile, exit left. So, I got yeah. a guitar from Red Beach at my first post-pandemic show. Yeah. Very cute. So, it's kind of funny, because, you know, then, you know, they're filling the opening slots with these same... Exit left. These same uh, hair metal bands. But the where I was going with this is the bands that you saw live, like, out of the genre... Well, I mean, I, I came out strong. My, my first concert, it was at Alpine Valley. Ever? Ever. Um, Memorial Day weekend, 89. And the order was, 
Bullet Boys, Winger, Tesla, White Lion, Poison. Fuck. That was a fucking... That was stacked. That slapped. <laughs> if you will. Although we didn't say that at the time, we just said, this is really cool. This is really cool. It does not slap quite yet. <laughs> yeah, so that, it came out, came out strong. So that, wow, that, that was your first ever show. First ever concert. Wow. That's a stacked lineup. Yeah, I, I regret just because if uh, I wasn't driving it at the time, so my mobility was limited. So pretty much it was just getting to see some of those amphitheater shows. Yeah, with like boyfriends of my sister that could drive. Uh, like the second major show that I saw was uh, was another festival the next year. Uh, Motley Crue headline on Dr. Feelgood tour. And I, I think it. I forget. I think the order was Johnny Crash. Never even heard of them. No, no, they were a national band. Johnny Crash. Um, on Again, Tesla. And then I believe it was Great White. And then Motley Crue. That's another one. That's another one. And we'll circle back around to this, but I just want to interject this at this point because I don't want to forget. Sirius, the hair metal station, while it is a preset on my dial, I find myself turning it off because they just really hit the highlights of bullshit on there. Much illustrated, and I know this is fan-based as far as votes, but the reason that I wanted to do this whole Hair Metal Chronicles thing was because they put out a top 20 that was the biggest pile of shit I've ever seen in my fucking life. But I digress. We'll get to that later. But, um... Great White. Great White's what you seem to trigger. Okay, so Great White. One of the bands, and the reason I say I find myself turning more than anything is because they do. They hit the highlights of the fucking bullshit. Like, there are a handful of bands that I will turn the motherfucking station quicker than you, you can say the band name if they come on. And Bon Jovi is one. Yep. Great White's another. Warren, Sands... There's a couple more, but I can't, you know, Scorpions for sure, which Scorpions aren't a fucking hair metal band, they yeah. the 70s, but they do play in one station. And they, and they didn't, I mean, they printed it up a little bit, but I don't feel like they did it. Yeah. <laughs> that was a hard sell to pretty up those motherfuckers. Pretty up Klaus. <laughs> no, that wasn't happening. So, but yeah, great white. So going back to the live bands, what are, what, what are some other ones? So the first like small show that I saw, uh, being, being from Chicago, I got to see uh, Enough's Enough. I saw him first at the Thirsty Whale, and then I saw him at the Park West. So that was like my first time seeing bands in a small in a small setting. So that one, not to cut across you, but that band right there presents a pretty sharp contrast because I feel like those guys definitely had like a like a Beatles type influence where they're trying to like be more sophisticated as far as the writing if you will but they definitely like I don't know if it was an A&R guy got a hold of them and they were like okay motherfuckers let's slap some makeup (laughs) on these bitches and definitely gotta fucking turn up the distortion on the guitar so they I mean they definitely get lumped in with that and I'm if I was in that band I'm like you know hey you put on the fucking makeup and the hairspray as much as anybody else did but you gotta kind of own up to it. 
yeah, that's a, that's another interesting one as far as like, or do you consider them hair metal? You fucking almost have to because of the way they look. Right. But they were, you know, they, they definitely had different influences than, you know, a lot of the other guys. But you did. Continue. Um, another interesting one from that era that I saw, so I was on vacation in California. saw that very same tour on the opening date in Trove, Wisconsin. Yeah. Alpine. Yeah. I saw that was, that was the, the kickoff. Yeah. And I remember saying at the time, when I got back, and they were like, how's the concert? I was like, the new because the albums weren't out yet. So I think, I think Slate, well, okay, sorry, when you, you saw it. So, yeah, so when, when I saw it, the very first, neither album, Use Your Illusions or... Slave to the Grind was out. And I remember telling people, I'm like, this new Skid Row is going to be fucking fantastic. And it was. And the new Guns N' Roses is going to be fucking terrible. Which, by sheer volume, it kind of was. It wasn't bad. If you dilute it down, it's good. But you take, you know, take it with all the throwaway tracks, it was not good. But anyways. Yeah, so, so, so by the time it hit L.A., um, Slave to the Grind was out. Use Your Illusion still was not. Um, yeah, Guns or Skid Row came out, right? It was like a 45, 50 minute set, and they just crushed. It was so, so good. And yeah, so, I mean, that was my first time seeing them. You know, Sebastian, just amazing showman. Great show. And this, you know, this was the height of, of the ass bullshit. And so, I don't remember exactly how long it was, but I mean, it was like at least an hour and a half before Guns. 15, and then they come out and they're playing the vast majority of stuff that no one's ever heard. Yeah. We left early. And yeah. It was like midnight, and I'm like, I'm tired. We left. Well, we had the, air, the added irritation of, it was at Alpine Valley, which is an outdoor amphitheater. You guys were at least inside. Right. It started fucking raining oh. at the time that he was pulling his fucking, I'm going to be late to the stage bullshit. Yeah. You know. And you were in the lawn or what? Yeah. Oh. So, there's that. And it's one, one more I want to highlight because it, it sort of marked the shifting. Uh, so that's a couple months, well, I guess it was like, so that was summer of, summer of 90, yeah, that was summer of 91. Valentine's Day, 92, Aragon Ballroom, Skid Row, still absolutely crushing on the Slave of the Grind tour, opening band, Soundgarden. What? Okay, so, I motor fingers. so I thought you were going to hear what I was about to say, because I'm going to work backwards here, because I saw you know, the show we talked about with the Guns N' Roses and uh, Skid Row. I saw Skid Row, still on Slave to the Grind, headlining at, in Fort Wayne, opening band, fucking Pantera. I knew you were going to say that. Fulgur yeah. I was like, what a fucking show, man. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Like, and that was it, such an odd lineup, you know. I can't have to, but they're, they're buddies. Yeah. You know? I can't even imagine, like, the, the, the women in the audience. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. When Pantera starts playing. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? But, and I can't remember 
Well, and seeing Pantera later with somebody like Typo Negative. So it's kind of like the same thing because, oh man, I watched those guys get hated on just terribly. But great band still, but you know, just mismatched. Yeah. Soundgarden has a fucking, what album was that? A bad motor finger. Bad motor finger. Wow.
saw that too or not, but the big hit was um, Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone, and they lowered like this big white grand piano out of the ceiling. He's playing it, and, you know, the big ballad thing. And my buddy's friend that was a stage hand was like, Yeah, that was just like an empty box. And they, put a, <laughs> they put a keyboard in where the, you know, the actual keyboard was. Cause, I mean, think of the logistics of moving a fucking grand piano around. Yeah. It makes sense. I didn't see till after the fact. Yeah. You know, like Molly. One mile. Exit right. One of my favorite bands at the time, like I mentioned before, was Molly Crew. Never got to see them. You know, they're like Notre Dame might as well have been a million miles away when I was a kid because I would have to have my mom and dad take me over there. I remember my mom did take me and drop me off at Van Halen, and I think she had to drop me off at the Cinderella concert. here at whatever time it was and the fucking show's not over like the mountain in my ass the people leave, but whatever but you know by the time we got to be able to drive then you know, we had, where I'm from like at Kalamazoo you know Chicago was in driving distance Indianapolis and then of course still doing the concerts in, at Notre Dame at that point but I didn't I didn't in see a lot of these bands miles. like Turn as left. a Late, I've seen, you know, Bullet Boys, not the original lineup, like we're supposed to see today. And, like, I think you went Turn left. to the Motley Crue show with us in uh, Chicago. That was the first time I saw those guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I do remember seeing Tesla, which is one of the bands that I don't feel like is, like, really a hair metal band. But I saw those guys quite a bit. I think we're getting close to eating here, so. Well, it's, I don't think they'll be until 11, so we. Oh we shit! Probably, we, we can got, do. We got 10 minutes. Before. All right. Yeah. So, any other shows that stick out, even if they're bands that you didn't see back in the day, that you have seen recently? <sighs> That's tough. So yeah, I mean, I, I've, it, at this point, I've, I've been able to see, you know, just about just about every, you know, band of, of the genre that I liked. Um, I did get to see the original Bullet Boys uh, twice. Bastard. Uh, yeah, a couple couple of months ago. That was that, that was my second post-pandemic concert. All four all four members. Tiny little. I mean, not even club. It was a bar. It was a bar in Fort Worth. Um, they played for like forty-five minutes, which is really lame. Um, but it was great to see them. But a couple years before that, they had played a, when I was in California. They played a one-off show. Um, I thought it was Vegas. Well, recently they played in Vegas. Okay. But but yeah, no, this was this was back. This was like 2012, I think, or something. 11 or 12. Um, they played in Hollywood. The original members got together for one show, and they played the first album in its entirety, mm. in proper order. On a tangent, I'm a huge huge fan of full album Sequence. shows, but fucking play it in order. I don't care that. Well, the first song's the biggest hit. And like a lot of things, I blame Lars Ulrich. Because when they were doing the Black Album, he's like, well, I mean, come on, we're not going to open up with Sandman. So they just play it in reverse order. Right? Why, the fuck, yeah, why would you not open with Sandman? Like, 
Who gives a fuck? I want to hear As it. If, I want to hear it in the order that it that it existed. Yeah, I I don't disagree. And even even not changing genres, but Anthrax, right? Love the turn fact left. that I've seen them do Among the and Living. Turn left. I think twice. The first time, they um. They they were playing it in sequence, but they had like a like a halftime between the first and the second side. They played some other things, and then like "Imitation of Life" was the song I was most excited to see. And they played the intro, and that's it. And I was like, "You mm. dicks!" But then the <laughs> next time that they did it, they did play the whole thing, including the whole "Imitation of Life," but totally random order, which I just I, I just want to hear it yeah. in proper order. Yeah, that kind of drives me nuts as well. Huh. And here we are. Turn left. Still got. Well, at least this bitch won't be interrupting us for at least another ten minutes. Yeah, that's fine. All right. So maybe we should do Turn this. Left. You have reached your destination. In the reverse order. Okay. So I'm gonna do okay. my. Unlike the way albums should be done at shows. Right. Well, I meant even even further reverse than that and do honorable mentions first. Oh. Yeah. Is that tipping the hat too much, though? Well, it, it definitely tells what's not on your top ten, but it's that's your, okay. It's, it's that's your okay. show, man. It's okay. Your rules. So, let's do honorable mentions first. All right. Go ahead. Okay. My first one is... The self-titled debut from Badlands. Again, genre-wise, like yeah, that's we're, we're, a, like yeah. really. I mean, it's a blues band. I especially, I mean, there's and actually, why? So that's another band I gave up on. The second album came out, and I'm like, oh, you first, didn't like the second album? I hated it. First of all, really? Eric, Eric Singer was gone, right? And that was the album that introduced me to Eric Singer, and it's still one of my favorite drummers ever. Eric Singer was gone, and so it, the drumming was much different. I mean, I guess really that's all it is, because I mean, they're both blues albums. I guess it, it was Eric Singer. Okay. I'm like, you guys fired Eric Singer. You're dead to me. See, I really, I thought that, because I saw a video for the second album before I even knew it was coming out, and I was like, okay, that's a different drummer. And I thought that guy was such a badass. I don't even know oh, who he is. Oh, no. Playing a little four-piece? No. I don't even know who he is. He's, a, he's Joe Nobody. That's who he is. <laughs> so, <laughs> Badlands is definitely one of those bands, um, and like I said, not trying to tip the hat, but de they're... One of those ones that I feel like were on the fringes of For sure. that whole hair metal thing. Okay, everybody had long hair, but you almost kind of had to. I mean, like, we probably couldn't name two bands off the top of my head that had guys with short hair that were doing something in that era. But regardless of that, um, love Badlands. Love both albums. Now, two facts about Badlands. Um, and I didn't realize this until I read Tony Iommi's book, is, so Greg, the bass player, who I met, um, Greg, Eric Singer, and Ray Gillen, however you want to say it, Gillen, Gillen. yeah, however you say it, um, those guys were, all three of those guys were in Black Sabbath at the time. Ah. So what's funny is, so let's think about this. Jake was playing with Ozzy. Jake comes out of Ozzy. Ozzy, who was in Black Sabbath. And then Jake takes 
everybody but the guitar player out of Black Sabbath. <laughs> it's rather incestuous. I always thought that was kind of funny. But the other thing, do you know that both those albums are out of print? Yes. On purpose? Yes. And you know why? Yes. Okay. So for those listening that don't know why, because it, it irritates me for like the hero worship for the singer and the fact that it kind of pisses me off at Jake a little bit too, that he won't just come out and say, yeah, fuck that guy. I mean, I, I heard, I read something recently. It was pretty acrimonious split at the time when they did the third album that you can find. It's the only one on, um, Spotify or Apple. It's called dusk and it's just, it wasn't actually finished. It was demos for the album they were going to do. And it mm. is fucking awful. There's one song on there that's halfway decent. Can't remember the name, but uh, Red Dragon Cartel played it when I saw it. Oh, okay. So they played one out, one song on that album. But the reason you can't find the first two is, is because there was a class action lawsuit against the singer, Ray, because he had AIDS, full-blown AIDS, knew it, and continued to go out and bang all these groupies and infect them. And there was, you know, the families sued the record label and the record label said okay well you know because they didn't want to you know put that guy on a pedestal anymore like it's oh yeah you know so they just they yanked the albums so if you don't have those albums you got to buy them used you know there are not on any streaming sites download sites you can't find fucking physical copies of them so I would very much like Badlands on vinyl I would too that yeah and I did so yeah so I did I never, so I never saw Badlands. I did, I did see Red Dragon Cartel shortly before the pandemic. So I do have a Jake Ely guitar pick. Thank you nice. very much. I saw him quite a bit before that, but uh, that second album was really good by then. The first one, not so much. The second one, I thought was pretty solid. Um, but I got to meet Jake and Greg. They were just like behind Reggie's in the alley as we parked and pulled up. It's like, oh hey, let's go get a picture. Kind of cool. Nice. Jake's a lot shorter than I thought he was. I think I'm short. He's shorter than me. <laughs> so my first, and some of these I didn't do an actual album to, but this first one I, I did do an album to. So my first honorable mention, and this is another subject that I kind of wanted to get into later that under the heading of bands that made um, like their best album while kind of diverging from the genre. So, honorable mention, the self-titled Motley Crue album with John Karabi on vocals. I think that album's fucking fantastic. I think Nikki Six is a whiny baby because that was the only album that he had to share fucking writing credits on, and it's their mm. best one, and he talks shit about it. He talks shit about Karabi, who I've met like three, four times, played with, opened for. Really fucking nice guy. And a hundred times the singer that Vince Neil had oh, fucking no thought Oh, no doubt. No doubt. So, what are your thoughts on that album? I gave up on Motley Crue, and I never listened to it. And really? You, you sweat me about it all the time. I, 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 do, I do sweat you on it. I, I fucking wrote them off at the time. At the time, I was like, I don't want nothing to do with this, because, and I, I loved The Scream, the band that Karabi yeah, was in yeah. before. That album's fantastic, which I, oh, goddamn, now that I look at my list, it's not on here. So, we'll, we'll go ahead and, uh, fucking do a double honorable mention the scream <laughs> let it scream fantastic fucking album with the remnants of racer x without oh. paul gilbert it was okay. bruce boulet uh the 
Scott Travis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Alteret, Alderette, who just passed away in the last year because he was playing bass, who, oddly enough, went as John Alderet at that time, and probably because some record company asshole made him change his name so it didn't sound so Hispanic because he went by Juan Alderette when he died. And I didn't know mm. that he had changed it ever. But anyways, the Motley Crue album. You never listened to it. I think I, I finally... I think I finally listened to it last year when... I, I hate streaming. I buy physical product. I finally signed up for Spotify to hear to whatever, like to hear some album that like was that was but not being physically released or something. And so I listened to, to that Motley Crue album, you know, stuff like Poison's Native Tongue that I'd never heard in my entire life. Mm. Um, I guess I didn't. I guess it didn't blow me away because I haven't listened to it again. It's, but but it's, I'm also. I mean, I, I'm a. I'm kind of a dick. Like once I write you off, I mean, you're really dead. Yeah. And it's really really hard for me to go. Oh, you know what? That is really good. And plus, I don't know if you find this to be the case or not. Even if it's even if it's older music, it's just it's really really hard for new music to like pass through my filters. Hmm. I, I really struggle. Unless it's a newer band, or well, no, I mean new bands are pretty much have no chance. Oh, I just, interesting. I, I, my ears are just closed. I just I love what I loved, and it's just so hard for anything to get through. Well, what about like uh, somebody who you I've tried to get into because I know you love them so much, but somebody like. Uh, St. Vincent. How do you explain that away? I can't. Because that's especially that's fairly new. Y- yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, there's literally like in the last twenty years, there's probably ten bands, ten new really? bands that I've gotten into in that time. Right. I have I have no idea why I like St. Vincent. Huh. And and honestly, if yeah, like with what she's doing now, like I'm just kind of giving her like a grace period. Like if, <laughs> if I if I came in now, I'd just be like, this is just some dumb shit. Funny. All right, we're going to go in and eat some fucking barbecue. And since I know Ron will listen to this, I'm going to play a deep cut off of my honorable mention, so he'll have to listen to it. So <laughs> I will listen to this. All right, we're going to go eat, and then we'll pick 10, this up. 10,000 miles, take one.
Thank you for right. indulging in that silliness. Back to it. What's your next uh, honorable mention? The band we are about to go see. Turn right. Self- and then, or not turn dissing. right. Yeah, the band is not called Turn Right, but go ahead. The self-titled debut from Dangerous Toys. Dangerous Toys. So, I saw the uh, teasing and Pleasing video on MTV. Heard it once. Absolutely loved it. I don't remember if the album's out turn yet right. or not. And then, turn right. But I definitely bought the cassette right away. Loved it. Um, I mean, it is a, as a whole... So it didn't, it didn't. Right. It didn't make my top ten. I was gonna say I'm surprised that didn't make the top ten. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a, a couple of songs that I really really love as you'll as you'll watch which ones I go ape shit for here in a couple of hours. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, as a whole, you know, I mean, there it wasn't. I didn't find it to be like amazing. And then when the second album came out, if I'm I don't know if I'm misremembering this, but I feel like the first single was feels like making love and I was so just disgusted that like a cover y- yeah a band cover? really yeah I was so I disgusted that by that I'm like I, I bought the CD I, I found it really underwhelming and I sold it hmm. and and that was again they were they were they were just sort of dead to me other than like man I fucking love this first album I'm wearing the shirt right now yeah so an important album but didn't quite crack the top ten for me. I remember really liking that when it came out and thinking it was a little quirky, but liking it regardless. And but also thinking it was kind of like a poor man's Guns N' Roses at the time, just because you know Jason McMaster's had the red hair and you know had that high pitched. So I could be can, way off of that. How can you not love sporting a Woody? Yeah, I mean it was kind of like the Scatterbrain album, like the had the funny stuff in there. No, but. Um, my next honorable mention. In 0.1 miles, turn left. And I don't have a specific album because I feel like this band's albums always kind of melted together and I couldn't differentiate to pick one if there were going to be one in my top ten. But it was a band I always loved and specifically their guitar player, Warren Martini, but mm-hmm. Rat. I th- always thought Rat was a solid band. Never got to see them live. And uh, they always had good hooky songs, but it was never like, you know, I could name 20 of them, but they all seemed to, in my mind, kind of mix together. Like you, you can interchange them. I'm sure that piss off, that'll piss off some Rat fans. but So even in later years, like you've never seen Piercy or anything? No, I haven't seen it's not great. I've almost met, like, I, it was, it might have been the time me and you went to the NAMM show last. Um, I walked into a room and Warren was doing a signing and I was like, oh shit, he's doing the signing. And like one of the security guys was like, he's done. So it was a real killjoy about that. But yeah, never saw, and they did, I think it was Dancing Undercover. They came to uh, Notre Dame ACC, but that Turn was like. Left. Yeah, I was like maybe 10 fucking years old, 11 years old. Obviously couldn't go. Yeah, I never saw him during the during the heyday. That's another guy, though. You know, we talk about, you know, the vocalists having to be a certain caliber. That was another band. Like, so 
going back, so DLR had Michael Anthony that had amazing, you know, harmonies and backups. Yeah. Then you had Vince Neil, like, God, I don't know how the fuck he got past because there's nobody else backing up in that band. But I feel like Rat had a couple backup singers, and I don't know to credit for that. But, uh, that got Piercy by, like, I said, that guy was not a terribly good singer. I mean, but for whatever reason, he got by. He had that special quality about his voice. But he doesn't, he unfortunately, doesn't possess that quality anymore. <laughs> yeah. What's your next one? My next one that did not quite crack the top ten is the second album from Faster Pussycat, Wake Me When It's Over. Oh, oh that one hurt. Funny, I've never even heard it. Like, that album? No. Whips? 
No, I've heard whipped, but not big. I thought you were referring to a later album. No, 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 no. The song Big Dictionary on Whipped. Okay. So, Very comical double entendre stuff. Whipped completely escaped me and went under my radar. And I had a buddy, a singer in one of my bands, uh, that loves that album. And I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. And there's a couple bands, um, good bands, that one of which we've mentioned before, that did two albums, two good albums, and then were working on their third, and they got shelved. Those bands being Bang Tango, which I just acquired a copy of their third album, which is good. It's really good, but because the genre is on the downturn, record label shelved it. Badlands, that album got shelved. Uh, I feel like Whipped could have got the same treatment. Just in my opinion. Because I've listened to the album and I'm just like, eh. But, so that's the first album this year. I don't know that Second album. Wake me when it's over. Uh, the tough, tough one is probably the closest to making a top ten and didn't make the top ten. So, my next one, and this is another one that I couldn't pick a specific album. Like, I guess I could, but just as an overarching Oh, okay, then forget it. But, still dead to me. 
Jimmy could have saved it. So, and, but they still do Lynch Mob albums. And, I mean, do, like, George Lynch has so much output, like, it's hard to keep up with. He does, you know, like, these collaborations and solo albums and Lynch Mob albums and, you know, still does Doc and stuff here and there. But, yeah, he's hard to keep up. Even for somebody who's one of my favorite guitar players, hard to keep up with. But, uh, for continuity's sake, the disappointing thing on those first two albums is, they had two different singers. So Oni Logan being the first guy, which has come back and done some stuff recently. The second guy, who I really wanted to meet when I saw Warren in Pennsylvania when I was out there a couple years ago, um, Robert Mason sang on the second album. He also sang on, uh, God, what is the name of the band? Uh, uh, they came out around the same time as Brother Kane. Top of my head, but he sang on that. There's two different Cry of Love. He sang on the second Cry of Love album too. Great fucking singer. So much better than. I mean, I know people suck off Janie Lane for being a drug addict, and oh, he was such a great guy and a great songwriter, and blah blah blah. But Robert Mason is a much better singer. I don't know how we got there. Point A to point B. What's your next? Back to that, that struggle that I said that I had with established bands moving into the genre. One that I think that did it tremendously enough to make my honorable mentions list: Alice Cooper Trash album. You know, big Desmond Child. You know, big big production, big big poppy songs. You know, it had had all the had all the trappings of the, the you know the band the style at the time. You know, done done really well. So 
you see it in a different light. Anyways, yeah, that that's another one like uh, poison. Feed my Frankenstein. That she comes on. The fucking radio gets turned. Like, oh, shit's off. Respect your opinion, nonetheless. So my next one is. Okay. Again, it was just just out of that reach, out of that top ten reach for me. You know, this was 
me in a way it hit me because they were the first band that I got to go see in a club. And so, you know, seeing these, seeing these songs at the Thirsty Whale and then seeing them at the Park West. Um, and, and still that first time, there's a couple songs I'm like, eh. But there's, there's probably six songs off of that album still that I absolutely fucking love. Yeah, I remember those two singles. Like, I don't know that album. Fly High. So, well, new thing was this was, this, new this, thing, this, yeah. was the debut, uh, or the first single, and then uh, it was Fly High Michelle. Yeah. You know, two songs that were popular. Fly High Michelle certainly had the, the Beatles, you know, the Beatles influence. But yeah, just, you know, simple. Like, oh, boy, Vince's vocals live are so bad. 
I mean, I've got like quality bootlegs from the Shout of the Devil's Core. Sounds like shit. Oh yeah, I remember. It always uh, sounded like shit live. Always. And it's worse now. But he, he was never a good live. He, there, was never, magic, there was magic in the studio. Yeah. So I remember, you know, being a kid and getting Shout of the Devil and. You know, obviously that's very produced, put it that way. So it sounds huge. So there used to be a radio show called The King Biscuit Flower Hour. Yep, I'm not sure you, you remember this. I'm not sure a lot of people do, and not a lot of people know that it existed. But Molly Crew was going to be on at one point, and I do believe it was like their opening set when they were touring for Ozzy. So I remember waking up really fucking late just to hit the play and record button on my jam box so I could record this. And then I remember listening to it the next day and they opened the shot at the devil and it sounded so thin and not powerful at all. I was like, what the fuck is this? And it was my first lesson in like reality of music production like oh yeah you know you can't replicate it live like holy fucking if there was a band that couldn't do it it was them like, even oh, at their peak at their peak holy fuck it was horrible look at the Dr. Feelgood tour what happened well I guess no girls 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 yeah. happened too bad the nasty habits yep. gotta have some background singers to beef up the vocals yeah it, I mean so not to completely piss all over this guy so, me and my buddy Tom, who's a music journalist, he had free tickets, because God knows I wouldn't have fucking paid for them. We went uh, and saw Vince at the local casino, because he was doing his rounds, and this is a couple years ago. And, uh, he comes out looking like fucking Mito first. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, if somebody, if there's one person who's let himself go, that guy, you know, but I digress, like I said, I'm not trying to piss on him, so he came, he was fucking horrible, like, we went with the intentions of, this is gonna be bad, let's go fucking have a laugh, like, seriously, and we did, and I'm pretty sure we ended up leaving early, his band is fantastic, I mean, he's got Dana Strom from, you know, Slaughter, uh, Jeff, actually, I think the entire band, Sans the drummer, is Slaughter, minus Mark Slaughter. Yep. If I'm not mistaken. So the band, the band is fantastic. The drummer is Zoltan. Yeah, Zoltan is fucking Tommy Lee 2.0. That's all I could think the entire time I'm watching. But uh, so it's saying like every third word. It was bad. It was really, really fucking bad to the point where. He walks off stage for like three songs, and the guitar player, Lando sings, yeah, yeah, sings a couple covers, and I'm like, wow, like you you just like if you're of that stature, you don't do something like that. Regardless, so somebody recently in the last month or two posted a video of him at some, I think it was actually the Indianapolis or the Indiana State Fair, you know, and they're like, oh, fucking Vince Neil. And I watched it, wanting to make a snarky comment on the fucking Facebook post. And I was like, you know what? That guy's doing ten times better than he did 
a couple years ago when I saw him. He still sucks, but he's doing better. I mean, I'll give credit where credit's due. You know, he's still terrible. He still can't sing, but he's hitting most of the words now. You know, yeah. albeit fucking huffing oxygen on the side of the stage in between. He has always had good bands with him. Shout out to the prior drummer, my buddy Brent Fitz. bands ago was uh, sponsored by Jägermeister and Jägermeister had built this new thing where it was uh, was basically a semi-trailer that you could pull up and it would unlock and it would open up there'd be a lighting rig, there'd be a sound system drum riser, drums, amps the whole work, all you have to do is pull it up and I think they used it on Ozfest after this second band to get to play on this thing. The first band being Vincent's band. That's very cool. So, yeah, it was pretty fun. Anyways, the, my last honorable mention, and it looks like we're going to be doing a top ten on my own, but <laughs> my last honorable mention is Mr. Big, who I feel is in the same kind of category as winger as far as musicianship, maybe even more so. They're obviously known for their one ballad to be with you. My wife loves that song. Dude, there is so much more to that band. I remember, you know, that wasn't the first single off that album. I bought that album, and I don't, I'll I'll say this because I don't really like the first album all that much, because it was almost like they were trying to be band Nitro, where it was just like, everything was over the top. Yeah. So, it was almost like that for me. Like, it felt like the first album, the songs were kind of lacking. The second album, everything gelled. Does, and does, the songs were fantastic. Did the first, which album had the, the Electric Drill song? That was the opener for the second album. Okay. So that was, uh, uh, I'm not even going to say it because it was screwed up, but yeah, it was the opening track. Um, but, or maybe they did it again on the second album. The single off the first album was Addicted to That Rush, which was a good song. Yeah. And okay. the second thing that they did on that was they did a live version of Humble Pie's 30 Days in a Hole. Fucking absolutely oh. love their versions of it. So, they did, in 2010, I think, it was all the original guys got back together and they did Back to Budokan. They did two nights and I got the DVD or the Blu-ray for Christmas, and they did, like, a handful of covers. Holy fuck, man. Like, that's one of my favorite concert videos ever. Those guys are just so... Every one of them can sing. Every one of them can play every instrument. Like, they, at one point, they did this thing where they just, you know, one would come out and front the band, one guy would go back and play drums, the other guy would pick up the, drum, the bass and guitar, not the guy that's supposed to be and they just did that. And it was fucking ridiculous. They can all sing like birds. They can all play their asses off. You know, that second album, if there was a number 11, if we did a top 11, it would be the second Mr. Big album. Fucking, that album, as far as like the songwriting, just a huge jump for those guys. And it sucks that they're only known for that one fucking song because they went on to do 
subsequent albums that are really fucking good. Like, and huge so, in Japan from what I understand. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, they can go over there and tour all fucking day like they've never missed a step. You know? Well, like I said, that um, concert I was just talking about, the DVD, was 2010. Yeah. You know, yeah. literally 20 years after their biggest hit, they're still filling the fucking Budokan. So, yeah. Take that issue. But love that band. Love all the guys. I've got to meet uh, Billy Sheehan a couple times. Super nice guy. Um, but, yeah, ridiculously good band that got lumped in with hair metal. That, you know, I think they played it up a little bit, but they were definitely not hair metal. You know, they're just a bunch of really good musicians trying to write some good songs. So, we might have time. Get started, get started. Alright. It's your turn. What's your 10? Number 10. My number 10 album is. Drumroll. Do it. Rat out of the cellar. I'll, I'll mostly agree with you that, yeah, as a, as a whole, right, kind of the stuff all sort of blends together, um, and I don't, you know, I don't, and even there's a few songs on that album that, you know, are, are maybe a little bit filler, but, you know, a lot of really strong, a lot of really strong songs, uh, you know, of course, like everybody, uh, at the time, I heard, uh, Out and Around, and I was like, wow, yeah, this is great, and I bought the cassette, but then, but yeah, like, uh, Wanted Man, back which, which had, had, had the, uh, or, sorry, yeah, the Back For More video, which had the cameos from uh, Nikki and Tommy. Tommy. Yeah. Um, yeah, Wanted the Man, cops. Uh, Back For More, Lack of Communication. Lack of Communication, I specifically remember being at a Carnival, and there was always that kind of like the, the ride that blasted loud music, mm. that would like, spin around in a circle really fast and stuff, and they were like, playing that, and I was like, fuck yes! And I was like afraid of the ride, but I'm like, I've got to go on this. I've got to do it for rat. Funny. Um, so yeah, a lot of good memories. But yeah, I'll, 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 I think it was their yeah. Their, they never. I don't think they ever had a complete masterpiece album or a this, break for, this for was that closest line. or break. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was always like right underneath. Like in that, those guys were huge. Like I think a lot of people forget how big that band. Like, they were stadium band, you know, but. They never had that. They never had the Doctor Feel Good or the right. New Jersey or whatever. Right. You know, so, which is unfortunate because that was they were a great man. And I, I have to concur because if I had to pick one, it would probably be out of the cellar just for nostalgia's sake. Because I remember like discovering that band, like you said, the um, was it back for more video. Yeah, and then I'm trying to think about right. So so I. Uh, you know, I had Quiet Riot when it came out. I had Twisted Sister. Rhett was probably maybe my third album, sort of in that general genre. And, and you know, and, and, and of, of those, well, I mean, Twisted Sister's kind of a different breed, but I mean, like, if I, for me, if I try to compare the Quiet Riot album, maybe up to Rhett, Rhett buried it. This is what Quiet Riot didn't even make my honorable mention list. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that would be if we were doing 20, but. Yeah. Rat was, Rat was a step up. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, this this genre can really can really produce some great, 
great stuff. Well, and going back to Quiet Right, I almost feel like the way that they got big almost disqualifies them. Because think about it. What was what fucking shot them to number one? It's a cover. Yeah, what that too. Yeah. Yeah. The one feel the noise is a fucking slate song. Right. You know. Not discounting the fact that they did it fantastically and it's a great song, but yeah, I think the fact that Kevin DuBrose is a dickhead maybe taints him in my eyes too. Yes. Rat, on the other hand, very good. And out of the cellar. So my number 10 is another one of the bands that I feel like does not fit in this genre, but was nonetheless lumped in. The first Tesla album, Mechanical Resonance. I just feel like that's solid from beginning to end. Like, just solid songs. It wasn't. And the thing that got me about that and to, uh, So maybe Guns N' Roses is the fact that the guitar tones weren't just like completely this overdriven, saturated things. Like they almost tried to back it down, so it was like they were just rock and roll band. Mm-hmm. While they may have gotten lumped in with that genre, they were. I mean, I've always thought that about them. You know, is you know, they were just good songwriters, good players. Everybody had their role and did it. Aside from Dave Rude filling in for Tommy Skeo. God, I love Tommy. Yeah, Tommy, and I actually got to see those guys. It's been probably 10 years ago when Tommy was still in the band. And you could tell he was like on one of those points where he was getting clean because he was maybe carrying a little more weight than uh, normal, shall we say. But fucking fantastic guitar player. Like, Frank Hannon, like, that guy's the writer. Great guitar player, but Tommy is just, I mean, they're both ridiculous. Tommy's fucking looked cool. Shout out to Tommy Skeo, his new band, Resisted Bite. New album coming out in a couple weeks. Yeah, I... Do we do shout outs? We do. Oh, okay. Uh, gives me more things to tag. More people will find the episode that way. Oh, shit, I just gave it away. Yeah, just fantastic. It was very happy. I got to see them 
And uh, yeah, that's it. Love it. Yeah, that was, it was a hard, it's hard choice between the first two albums, but I had to go with the first one just because that was. Well, I and I wrote the years behind each. Eighty-seven and eighty-nine, I believe. So the reference point I want to make is let's see here. So Mechanical Resonance was eighty-six, okay. and Appetite came out in eighty-seven. Yeah, yeah. So this predates. Guns and Roses, as far as somebody coming out of the genre and not wearing makeup and teasing fucking hair. So, much credit to Tesla, who should have been just as big, if not bigger, than Guns N' Roses for just sheer time songwriting and the balls to do that. You know, to come out in an era where everybody's fucking being pretty and not that they were ugly motherfuckers, but taking the chance on being ugly, you know. And not not leaning on the familiar songwriting themes that the genre right. is known for. Yeah, yeah, that too, you know. Which you can't say as much for as Guns N' Roses, but you know, they had a little bit of deceiving in there. Interesting, the nine and the ten match. say it's like these guys came out and I almost didn't give them the time of day because the cover of the album and it's not it wasn't even a glam thing it wasn't like makeup or anything but the dudes look like the heavy metal Duran Duran like they were all very good looking you know so yeah which is why your sister looks do you have nothing for she's really shallow yeah nothing for Bang Tango nope. So to my, to my knowledge, I've heard one bang, one bang tangle song. Didn't we go to a show that they were supposed to be on? It was a Bullet Boys show. No, it's uh, Bullet Boys, Fast Pussycat, Bang Tangle, and they didn't make the show or something. And I'm sure I was like, sweet, I fucking hate that band anyway. See, and I was completely disappointed because I've never seen them, and I always want to see them, although it's only the fucking singer anymore. And they just had a documentary that guy seems like a raging asshole. So. It's evidence by the band is just him now. Yeah, right. So. Got no love for Bang Tango. I'm surprised by that. Zero love for him. Okay. Fair enough. Moving on. You're number eight. We've got six minutes. We might be able to get an eight knocked out. And then we'll do the top seven on the way home. Alright, number. We might be hammered. Number eight. <laughs> Poison. Look what the cat dragged in. 
interesting. I definitely feel like there's some filler songs in there, but in terms of, of in one mile, exit right. I don't know if I can say re- redefining the the era or the genre or just really punctuating it in the strongest way. They sort of make no bones about what they were going to do and when, how what they were going to present themselves. The whole package, from the songwriting to the visuals to the way that they performed their performed live. They said, this is what we're going to do. And I think they, they, did, they did it best on that album. And another odd one. So the second album comes out. I didn't fucking buy it. I yeah. did not buy it. And, it, and But the reason was... So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. Was the first single not Your Mama Don't Dance? Uh, could have been. And I'm like, fuck you. Yeah, cover is a lead-off single. Never a good idea. So, I have to agree with you. And I remember specifically Exit being right. in seventh grade. And a guy came to, came to school. In 0.1 miles. Turn right. He came to school wearing a poison shirt. I had no idea who the fuck they were. They That looks like a pizza hut, doesn't it? Toby's Restaurant ripped off Turn right. Anyways, um, guy came to school wearing the shirt, and they had opened for, of all people, and I may be wrong on this, I feel like it was Ted Nugent, but then, now that I think about it, it might have been Rat, because this was around the time that they would have been at Notre Dame. Regardless, shortly thereafter, saw him on MTV, and I was like, this is like a fresh new type of sound, like... Mm-hmm. And went and bought the cassette and was very excited by it. In retrospect, I feel like the production on that album is fucking awful. And I've read something recently where it was not, they didn't take a lot of time on it. And um, very shallow in retrospect, but loved it at the time. Poison, for all their hair metal attributes, did not make my top ten, so I'll I'll, tell, I'll take that suspense suspense out of this right now, you know. And it was only and if it, it like I said, and that's another one. If we would have done a top twenty, mm, look what the cat dragged in might have been twenty. But yeah, it's an interesting in choice. In one mile, turn right. Yeah, they definitely came out at a time where it was like... And I remember seeing the shirt, and I'm like, oh, those chicks are hot. I don't know how many people have said that since. I might have had a crush on Ricky Rockets for, like, a couple of minutes. I actually got to meet Ricky Rockets in one of the damn shows. That guy is, like, way into martial arts and pretty cool guy. Plus, there's some video of him, like, punching fucking Brett Michaels in the mouth, which is awesome. I don't know why I enjoy that. I met him in the as well. The Grand Casino. I don't know. Oh, oh, we're we are at the Grand Casino Lodge. We're at the fucking campground next to it. This is going to be in a quarter of a mile. Interesting right. show. Shout out Hinkley, Minnesota. Hinkley, Minnesota looks like uh, Rock Timber. Rock Timber and is that Howie Mandel on the video <laughs> advertisement board? Who I hear is a very big germaphobe. I like that about it. Yeah. I was a dream folk before. Turn that was right. a cool thing to do. I, I feel like I would like him. So. Uh-huh. All right, so that looks like an arena back there. Or an amphitheater, I mean. It certainly does. All right, we're going to... Um, 
We're going to cut this one off. Okay. And we were just talking about... So I'll insert a song here from my number eight, and I won't tell you what it is until we come back. So top eight, my top eight, Ron's top seven when we come back. Turn left.
Check, check, check. All right. We're rolling. We're back. All right. Where do we leave off? My seventh? Eighth. My eighth. All right. Number eight. And I think we previously covered this one. No? Maybe. Number eight is Faster Pussycat. Wake me when it's over. Oh, snap. An Had honor- to go an, honor- an honorable mention for me. Honorable mention for you. Yeah. It's like that. Like we we already kind of discussed how much stronger that one was than the former. But agreed. Plus, in your face covers one of their songs, or at least a piece of it. So, I think we've said everything about that one. So, number seven Set for one. you. Seven. <clears throat> number seven. Motley Crue, Doctor Feelgood. Interesting. While we spent a good amount of time kicking the shit out of this meal <laughs> in every possible way. Uh, um, totally. I mean, it certainly is a well-crafted album, and I hate the word crafted, but I think it's appropriate for this for this case. Obviously, they brought in Bob Rock. They wanted a huge sound. You know, we talked about how, kind of in hindsight, realizing that overall, Motley Crue's body of work, I mean, honestly, is pretty fucking mediocre it as is. a whole. But I do feel like the Dr. Feelgood album, pretty much start to finish, for me, I think they're very quality songs. I mean, yeah, maybe it's a little more polished than it needs to be. You know, for me, it's about the songs. And, and I think I think yeah. there's a lot of really, really well-written songs. And they were supposedly clean for that whole thing, and yada, 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 which I don't think, you know, had much effect on it. Interesting... Uh, story on the whole Bob Rock thing is um, Bob Rock did quite a few albums before that but I think Motley Crue wanted to use him because of his work with the cult and then Metallica wanted to use him because of Dr. Feelgood because they liked how it sounded which I think you know you could have mixed reviews on how the Black Album sounds but we could do an entire podcast about that. So, Cliff, yeah. no, Cliff notes. I was disappointed as shit. In what? In the blackout. Huh. Fair enough. Yeah, I kind of was too. But back to my own different career. episode. Yeah. So I yeah I remember being in high school when that came out, and that was there's there was just always something like those are probably some of their stronger songs. Obviously, I've made my opinion clear on what their best album is but uh yeah there's just always something the- theater off- of pain yeah <laughs> absolutely well the funny thing is is like you know Nikki always pans on that album and you know talks shit about John Karabi but in the same breath he said you know that a lot of those middle albums like say you know Girls 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 Theater of Pain and uh is there one other one Anyways, I mean, he said, you know, I was all fucked up on drugs and the writing is bullshit. And then, yeah. you know, you go back and I remember as a kid getting those and just loving them. But you kind of go back and revisit them and you're like, yeah, this is some not good stuff, really. And so coming out with Dr. Feelgood, yeah, that was a very high watermark at that point. I've had some, some weird 
experiences as, as a kid where I listen. So, for instance, the first time that I heard Kiss Unmasked, I'm like, this is terrible. This yeah. is a terrible album. And, Cindy. I, and I didn't listen to it for probably 15 years. And then I got it again, and I'm like, I was right. This is a terrible album. And I was so excited when a buddy and I went to a record store to get Theater of Pain, and I fucking hated it. I'm like, this album is garbage. Yeah. And I mean, I absolutely worshipped Shout at the Devil, and could not wait to get Theater of Pain, and I hated it, and I thought it was terrible, and I still don't own the album. I mean, I've, and at this point, yes, I've gone back and listened to it, and again, I'm like, it just confirmed, no, I think it's a terrible album, so I actually didn't have that reaction that you did. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... As a kid, you just kind of take what they give you. And, I mean, it was, like, looking back, like, what a departure in, like, image yeah. and sound yeah. and everything the, yeah, from the one material. album to the other, you know? Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. But, you know, you're just like, oh, okay, I guess this is what they're doing now, you know? I think I was maybe 11 or 12, and it was just like, yeah. I remembered her, like, the sweet smell of the cassettes when you'd get them, like, that one specifically, which is an odd thing to remember. But... Nonetheless, what was it? That was your number seven? Yeah. Anything more to say about that one? I think that about covers it. Alright, my number seven, and this is going to be maybe a little bit of an odd one, but um, Hollywood Vampires by LA Guns. I think is honestly their best album and one of their biggest departures. And didn't really know I liked it all that well until years later because I didn't listen to it when it came out. It was one of those things where, like, it was at that period where everything was kind of diverging, you know, the whole grunge thing, and it kind of flew under my radar. But revisited it, and I was like, this is some of the best stuff they ever did. So what were the singles off of that? Um, Over the, over, over the Edge, I think. Um... It's more of, a, like, I don't even know what the singles were, honestly. the One of the songs was in Point Break. Interesting. Okay. Which the outro, like, the credits rolled to a rat song. Yeah. Nobody Rides for Free, I think. Nobody Rides for Free, and Robin Crosby was not in the band at that point. Oh, snap. It's because there's a video, and it's only for him. Snap. Do you remember that? I don't remember that fact. No. Yeah. But no, so yeah, that one's more of just like a whole experience for me, that whole album, because I, like I said, it flew under my radar, so I don't know, other than the song that was placed in the movie, which I would imagine maybe was a single, but uh, yeah, just really kind of, uh, and that was another note I kind of made, um, was you know, bands of that genre making their best album while diverging from the genre, because I feel like that album really, that was like those guys listening to The Cure or something, is what I see that album coming out of, you know, and then like, of course, the Motley Crue album that I mentioned with the other singer, and then um, trying to think of other bands, other examples of that were... Not, nothing comes to me off the top of my head. You're not familiar with that one? I am not. So my L.A. Guns experience... So I never I never hated them. Like a, a, yeah, I, I didn't hate them. 
I was just kind of like, eh, you know, whatever, it's okay. I, I, I did love the Never Enough single. Oh, that's a fantastic song. You know, Ballad of Jane was like just so overplayed. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so I, I, I didn't really hear much Ellie Guns <clears throat> until the last couple of years. They've been on, on some of these bills of similar shows to what we're seeing today. And let's it, just be clear. <clears throat> the Phil Lewis, Tracy Guns iteration, not the ass clown of Steve Riley. But anyway, it's good. Steve Riley, who I first knew from Wasp. Exactly. Yeah, yeah he played on the Wasp album. So, so yeah, I was just I was pretty much just indifferent to LA Guns as as a whole, and I still don't have any of their albums, and have not heard any in their entirety. Really? See, I remember getting the first two and having those, and obviously big singles being off the second album, and like the first album just seemed so one-dimensional to me. I mean, I, some of the songs are still great off of that. But, uh, yeah, that whole album, so they almost lost me at that, and then they came out with the second album, and, like, Never Enough is, like, you know, one of the best songs of that entire genre, in my opinion, but that's unfortunate you don't know that album. That album's really fucking good. Number six, sir. The self-titled debut from Skid Row. Really? Are you gonna do? Are you gonna pull two? Well, I can't. I can't tip my tip my hand. Okay. Tip my head yet. Because um, I think I know. I know where we're heading here. So I. I mean, I, so I, you know, Youth Gone Wild was the first single, and I loved it, and so I bought bought the album. And yeah, that's another one. Like to me, there's not a, a bad song on the entire album. Um, you know, it was. It had a little. You know, they were they were a little dirtier, and I don't mean for sexually, just a little grittier, maybe is a better word. Yeah. Like then poison, right? I mean, it was still pretty simple, pretty easily digestible stuff, but it just had a little a little grit to it. Yeah. I uh, you think know, like think of it like piece of me, right? That's like it's tough, you know. Like we're gonna right. fuck you up. And I think that's song. a lot of Rachel Bowl and. Uh, yeah, because he's got these. He's a punk. You know, he's a punker. So. Yeah, yeah. So they added that, and that that was another band where it was like. Just two phenomenal lead guitar players, kind of like, you know, Tesla or Queensryche. But, I mean, Sebastian Bach, amazing voice. Did you know he didn't write anything on that first album? Probably. Because so it was pretty much was all done before when they got him. Yeah, they had yeah. another singer, and they had written all those songs. But Yeah. yeah. Which I was kind of disappointed in after the fact, but I still love that album. It's a great album. I was I was always taken aback by like just the weird like the turns of the phrase. They're just they were just I don't know. They were refreshing because they were it wasn't just the same old bullshit. But and I think Rachel wrote a lot of the lyrics for that. And I had tickets two times to see Sebastian perform in its entirety, and both times it was canceled. Mm-hmm. But I'll have to say about that. Yeah, I remember uh, playing that motherfucking tape off the reels, man. Like I, that was thing. That thing was on just repeat. They, when they had, they had a really good. Uh, did you have the Oh Say Can You Scream home video? I did not. Oh man, that was phenomenal. Just, just your your classic home home video of the era where you've got live footage. You know of them just really destroying. 
and then on the road hijinks mm. uh, like for example of them physically destroying a hotel room mm. um, how passe and I remember there's a <laughs> what? I said how passe <laughs> well like, yeah who, who doesn't do that anymore yeah well for, you know first, first big tour so then yeah. they had to destroy hotel rooms but I remember there, there was like a live um, a live cover of or a live version of their cover of the Sex Pistols Holiday in the Sun which is do you have the Make a Difference album? yeah oh so good yeah. So it was nice to hear that live. So sorry, I guess I had a little more about Skid Row. No, I'm done. All, all good. All right, my number six <clears throat> is, and this was a hard one because I love all the albums by this band, but it was uh, the first Cinderella album, which was another one that came out, I feel like, pretty early. And I dated all these, so that was 86. So the only al- other album I have from 86 was the Tesla album, the very first Tesla album, so, I remember being very young getting this, and like, the, the thing that really sticks out to me is the contrast of what that album sounds like, and what the cover art is, because if you really think about what Cinderella evolved into being, it started on that first album, but they just, it, it was like a little more ramped up, you know, in, you know, subsequent albums, they kind of backed the distortion off the guitars and, you know, threw in a little more different, uh, influences, but that first album is just a straight up like blues rock album. There's no fucking hair metal about it except for the visuals of the cover. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they look like a bunch of dressed up fucking girls with their hair sprayed to the fucking sky. You know, if that album, and who's to say if that album came out with a different cover and they had maybe the image from the third album where they were just kind of like blue jeans and whatever, maybe they would have had more staying power or maybe they would have fucking failed miserably. But I think the songs are fucking phenomenal. Like I listened to, re-listened to that album the other day because I was like, I really like all three albums, well, they have four, which the fourth one I keep coming back to, trying to like, and just, it never catches. It's kind of like the third Skid Row album. I can't get into that one either, but yeah. Cinderella? I was a little bit to the right of indifferent. Um, you know, I mean, all the videos on MTV were, were great, and, and the songs were fine. I don't know, for some reason, I wasn't just like, I gotta have this. Um, so I didn't buy an album until Heartbreak Station, um, which I wasn't crazy about. I think I, I think I sold that CD. And so it wasn't until the early 2000s, uh, I can't think of what the bill was, but a bunch of bands toured, and it was the full Cinderella. I think, did we see, no, we might have saw that we together. We might have been together. That might have, because it was Faster Pussycat. I was going to say, that's when Faster Pussycat did their poison, total. Yeah. That's, was, that's what, yeah. Yeah, they did the dead. The, exactly. Ride, what the fuck was that the called? The Newly Deads. Newly Deads. Right. And they were... Basically, yeah. you know, Newly Deads performing Fast Pursuit songs. And they didn't songs. fucking really... They really didn't play... When I saw them, if I didn't see them with you... Because I saw it in South Bend, and I can't imagine you came to South Bend to see that. No, we saw it at the World. Okay, so... Yeah. yeah, we didn't see it together. Okay. But they... Like, their set list... Like, I was really amped to see Fast Pussycat, and they didn't play jack shit that I knew. Right. And they they came out in the fucking wedding dresses and the black yep. you know, the X's on the eyes and yep yep. But fortunately, Tammy came to his senses. But anyway, after that tour, I was like, God, like there really are a lot of really good songs, and so I did buy a Greatest Hits album. So that's the only 
that's the only Cinderella I have in my, in my collection. Mm. But so I, yeah, I, a healthy respect. But for whatever reason, at the time, it didn't. It didn't. No, I wasn't motivated to buy the albums until Heartbreak Station. Yeah, I don't know why, but that was one band that always like caught me different than you know. It was like I don't know. They never seemed like a hair band. It's like mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the bands that I ended up globbing onto were on the fringes of it. Like we talked about, like. You know, Tesla. Fucking love Tesla. Tesla didn't put out a bad album. I don't feel like Cinderella put out a bad album, but they, both those bands got lumped in. And there, I mean, we can go even further, like say, you know, Badlands. Badlands wasn't a fucking hair band. No, no, no. Straight up Blues Rock. Yeah, Queensryche. Queensryche was a metal band, really. Metal prog. Yeah, if you really think about it. Yep. You know, so there, I feel like there's a lot of those bands that just got lumped in and. It's, that was why this was kind of hard because I'm like I grew up with this shit and I liked it but once I got down to like what was my favorite stuff it wasn't the warrants or the poisons or for what it's worth even the fucking Motley Cruz, you know and that to me like if my 12 year old self heard me say that it'd be fucking blasphemy because that was like the end all be all at that time for me you know but Agreed, and and so for instance, I mean Warren didn't even didn't even make my mentionable, yeah, you know, right at the time I, I loved it so much, but like as I sit back and I'm like, yeah, it was all a little fluffy. And yeah, even, I mean and, there is a song here and there, but like n- even if I made a top thirty hair metal, there would not be a Poison album on. Well, no, there might be. Look at the cat. There wouldn't be a Warren album on it mm-hmm. for sure. You know, there wouldn't be. I don't know. I mean, there was so many of the like those fringe bands that were straight up fucking hair metal that were just awful, you know. But anyways, yeah. So no one Cinderella. So that brings us to the top five. We're moving right along through this. So, what's your number five? Number five, the self-titled debut album from the Bullet Boys. Wow. They made it in the top five. Obviously, hugely Van Halen inspired. Yeah. Especially, especially the first album. Um, but yeah, an- another one. Yeah, there's like maybe one song that I'm like, eh. but just absolutely, just top to bottom, just loved that album. Yeah. As I said earlier, they they were part of the first concert I ever saw, and so they so they were literally the first band I ever saw. And, and it just created this, this you know, indelible mark on me. Mark yeah. Torian had a Gene Simmons t-shirt on. <laughs> they opened up with Hell in My Heels. And, you know, that's just, that's just next level stuff for me. I love that album. That's, yeah, we'll get to that. But uh... and, 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 and again, another goofy one, right? Second album comes out. THC Groove is the single. I like it. I didn't buy Freak Show. I didn't own Freak Show until about three or four years ago. See, I bought that album immediately because I was so, like, that was one of those bands, like you said, like, that that was another one of those bands that was like, you know, the guitar player played a Les Paul. He didn't play a fucking mm. pointy BC Rich mm-hmm. with a fucking whammy bar on it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, you know, the same with, like, you know, the guys from Tesla, they played Les Pauls. The guys from, uh, 
Guns N' Roses. They didn't fucking, you know, and it's funny to put it that way, but that was like a kind of like a sign of the times. Like it really set you apart, you know, like Mick Sweeta fucking the, the solos on that album are ridiculous, which is why I'm so pissed off that I didn't get to see him this weekend. But that guy, like that album was a game changer for me. Cause I was like, you know, you talked about like the grittiness of that first Skid Row. This went even further with that for me. Just like the songs were more gritty. The the guitar tone was fucking fantastic. They were the whole package. And like so much differently than this is what I mean about like the whole Cinderella thing. Like think about if they'd have tried to pretty the bullet boys up. You know, they weren't bad-looking dudes, but imagine them throwing makeup and hairspray on those guys. What would your fucking... Would it be a different experience now for that album? You know, because the music's still great. You know, so they had the total package where the image matched the sound. And then the artwork and, you know, the videos and everything matched. Whereas somebody like Cinderella didn't. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but that one was a, a real, I mean, that was when I was really getting into playing guitar too. So, you know, I remember my first high school band we played or tried to play, you know, Smooth Up In Ya, Kissin' Kitty, the cover of Money, you know, For the Love of Money. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, my band, my band played For the Love of Money as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a fucking banger from beginning to end. You know, and the funny thing is, is like the, some of my favorite songs or when you get towards the end, like, you know, Hell on My Heels and uh, fucking F, F number nine, whatever the fuck that is. And, you know. Crank Me Up is the is the quiet hero for me. And I'm so pissed because at the Fort Worth show after the pandemic, I got the set list after the show and it was supposed to be the encore and they didn't fucking play it. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Huh. So my number five, top five, and I had a I had a fucking real problem placing this album for all the reasons we've been talking about. As far as like, is it an actually are they actually a hair band? Are they not? Are they what? But I thought it would be absolute blasphemy to not have this in here. So my number five, and it was at ten, but I'm like, no, it's got to be in top five. So I moved it up. But Appetite for Destruction. Once again, not a hairband. But We're seeing a theme here. It come, Yeah, the absolute theme. So all my favorite bands, I don't consider them to be hairbands, but they came out in that era. So, yeah. Yeah. you know. But, I mean, what can you say that hasn't been said about the album? Not a bad song. Not a bad fucking note. Beat. Anything. It was absolute fucking perfection. Which would cause you to think that it'd be number one. Yet it's not. Interesting. So, I'd like, I'd like to hold my thoughts. Hold your thoughts. So we just saw Adler's Appetite cover quite a few of these songs, and whoever that singer is is fucking phenomenal. I don't even know who that guy is, but they did a really good job. I was pleasantly surprised. It was pretty cool watching Steven Adler, front row center, playing those songs. Yeah. That guy I, is. Like, I guess. Well, I guess. Yeah, I've never seen him because yeah, when I saw Guns N' Roses, it was it was already Matt Sorum. So, so that's, that's my first time seeing seeing Steven Adler. 
Here's the, the, and he here's, gave me a drumstick, and it wasn't his signature stick. That was a generic stick. Yeah, handed it right to you, me, though. Handed but he handed it right. it right to me. So, interestingly enough, the first time I saw Guns N' Roses, like we already talked about, same tour you saw him on. So, Izzy was still in the band, mm-hmm. but it was Matt Sorum. Yep. So, I have seen Guns N' Roses with Izzy, but not Steven. And then I've seen him with Steven, but not Izzy. Because on the Nashville stop oh. of the tour, he jumped in and he played. God, what did he play? He played. Did he play My Michelle? He played My Michelle and he played one other song. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. So, I've seen the entire band, the entire original band, at separate times. That's a fun fact. A very fun fact. Because I, I was started to think about it. I was like, holy shit! I never saw Steven Adler play with Guns N' Roses. Now I have. So I'm in the middle of. Uh, Matt Sorum's book and he's getting to the point where he joins Guns N' Roses so that's kind of interesting still makes you feel bad for Steven but you know you make your own bed uh, the guy was a fuck up he might still be he has yet to be seen he smiles a lot though he does he's, he seems like a very he seems like he's still a kid he's appreciative very appreciative alright did we do, do you, you haven't done this top 5 yet have you well I just did my 5 my you, top 5 uh, I did number 5 Okay, number you're five on. was the Bullet Boys. Okay, that's right. So we're on four. Number four, Tesla, mechanical resonance. Huh, so it's double, double shot of Tesla. Double shot of Tesla. There's going to be some overlap here. I was hope, hoping there'd be a little less, but you know, it, it it is what it is. I mean, we were in a band together. Or are? I mean, yeah, still hiatus, buddy. <laughs> hiatus. Um, in your face. Tesla. So, and I mean, and honestly, like. Modern Day Cowboy, I like it's by not like not even close to my favorite song even on that album, right? But that was a single. And I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. I was in a band with my sister's ex-boyfriend, and he had that album, and so it was just it was on all the time. And so just as a whole, and like coming at you live, I was like, holy shit! Yeah. Fucking phenomenal. Like, when they reunited in '01, they opened with coming at you live, and it was just like, yeah. thank you. I just that I wanted to see that. Thank you, fantastic. Yeah, that was always. I've seen them a couple times, and when they do that, I'm just like, that's the perfect fucking opener. Yeah, um, covered you know covered several several of the songs off that album with with, the, with that band that I was in at the time. And when Tommy Skio's new band, Resist and Bite, new album coming out later this month, when they come to the Dallas area, I will go there and I will get a Tommy Skio guitar pick because I just have to have that in my collection. Cause I love that dude Even though apparently He was a big Fucking heroin addict Huh I didn't know what it was But I knew the dude Had problems But Yeah that album's Another one that's You know From beginning to end Do you know there's a cover On that album A song that they Did not write Uh Little Susie Yeah And have you ever heard The original version of it Probably and I don't remember It's very odd That they would You know It's a great song by them I looked up the new one Or the The original Mm Mm-hmm. It's very odd that they would pick something like that, but they've made it their own and it was really good. So, yeah, great album. And again, yeah, uh, you know, a, a, a hair metal band, right? But I mean, the, the topics were very, you know, I mean, look at their their whole thing. We're going to educate you guys about how Edison was a dickhead. Yeah, Edison stole his shit. So, you know, not, and even, even any sort of, you know, whatever coming at you live but it's a party-ish sort of thing but it's just about like hey fucking rock and roll right there's no there's no fluffy yeah we're not there's just, no fluffy, fluffy stuff that they're singing about or writing about yeah they're not singing about doing drugs or banging chicks right getting fucked up 
Right. Which nothing wrong with that. But they were doing those things. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure they, they were, were not doing singing them. about it. Yeah. So which is good. Let's live the lifestyle, but we'll write stuff, you know, better songs. All right. Yeah. So that was my number 10 and your number four. My number four was one of your honorable mentions, the first Badlands album, self-titled with three quarters of Black Sabbath and uh, an ex-Aussie guitar player. We're having less and less to talk about because we've already spoke about these fucking albums. So, I remember, so my introduction to that album, I think it was before because I know this. I know the single was uh, "Dreams in the Dark," or was it "Highwire"? No, it was "Dreams in the Dark." I don't think I don't think there was a video for "Highwire." Huh? I don't know why I remember that wrong then. Um, Dreams in the. But yeah. "Highwire" was the first thing I heard. I was so yeah. I was randomly like. So the, the, my rhythm guitar player like had a buddy, and he's like, you should jam with this guy. And I think I only played with him once. And he's like, here, listen to this song. And he played me Highwire. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, this riff is just uh, just insane. And then and I instantly just fell in love with Eric Singer. So are you aware of the bands or albums that Eric Singer played on previously? Pretty sure he was the drummer on Sonic Temple by the Cult, and or Electric. I had, I had not, I had not heard that. Yeah, that's him. I thought. Who was it supposed to be? Who was it credited as? No, he's on. It's he's credited. It's one or the other album. I'm pretty sure it's. What? Yeah, he was in the Cult. What? Yes. Now something I learned. Recently, because like I said, I was I'm listening to the uh, Matt Sorum book. Is Matt Sorum was not on Sonic Temple? That sounds right. He joined the band right yeah. after it was done. Yeah, he did the tour, but yeah, I thought he played on that fucking thing because I, you know, that was that one. See, that one to me, that should have been an honorable mention because that band. I mean, they kind of got lumped in a little bit, but. That that band was like something unto itself, which is probably why I didn't put them in there. But well, they—I mean—they were one of those. I guess you'd have to call them sort of crossoverish because I mean they were a hundred percent. I mean, on on the first album, I mean you were seeing that on 120 minutes. Right. You, were, you weren't seeing right. on Headbangers Ball. Exactly. Now when, when Sonic Temple, then it then you hit both. Right. You hit both shows. Well, the first album, and what do you what do you mean when you say the first album? Uh, electric. No. So there was two albums okay. before that. Well, I'm a fool. So there was Dreamland, which was almost like curish in a way, and then there was Love. Love is the album that uh, um, she sells Sanctuary is off of. Okay, all right. So you can. So that t- stuff was on 120 minutes. Yeah. So there was Dreamland, Love, and then Electric. Electric okay. was actually their third album, which to me, I've heard people say like the riffage and whatnot sounds ACDC-ish. Well, I could see that. Like I'm, th- I'm thinking a love removal machine in my head, yeah. and I'm like, well, Rub- yeah, love I removal could, yeah, machine I... is a fucking Rolling Stones ripoff, but like uh, Little Devil and you know, well, uh, in and that is um, that Wildflower is like a riff from an ACDC song that goes by real quick. They play it once in the intro of the song, and then they don't play it again. And the Cult took it, and I don't know if they actually stole it. It's a rock and roll singer by ACDC. It's on, I think, the first album. But it's a direct 
ripoff. I don't know if they did it on purpose, like I said, but I won't put that on Billy Duffy because not only is he one of my guitar heroes, I got to meet him and he is actually got to hang out with him and then run into him a couple subsequent times and he was like, hey dude, you know, very cool guy. So I won't say anything bad about him. Even if you did rip off ACDC. I met, <laughs> I met the original drummer for the cult. I wouldn't even know who that is. I didn't know who it was, but I was in Vegas with my friend, Brent Fitz. And we met at the Irish... Name drop! Well... Boom! We met at the... Uh, <laughs> I was just texting him during the show since his yeah. bandmate Todd Kearns was playing with Stephen Adler's band. But anyway, yeah, we were... We were at, uh, I was there like for a conference in Vegas where uh, Brent lives and we met at the Irish pub place in New York, New York and we were like, we're like sitting in some back room and he's like, oh yeah, this is so-and-so he's the original drummer for the cult I was like, oh, that's pretty cool nice so since we're, I mean, we go off on tangents and kind of go into other genres and go off the rails so here's a bit of trivia for you and I'm sure you'll know know this, but when a band that I was in got to open for the cult on several dates, uh, the drummer that is with them now, I think still currently and was then, is John, John Tempesta. Okay. Can you name me two other bands that he was in? Exodus and Anthrax. What? And Testament. John Tempesta? I'm a little tired. Anthrax and Testament and White Zombie. I didn't realize he was in... Yeah, I think he was in Exodus, too. I don't know if he was in Exodus. Maybe. I mean, he might have been. I know he was in Testament. He played on the album yep. uh, Low. And then he played on the second White Zombie album. And he might have been in Rob Zombie's band for a minute. But I can't speak to that. I've definitely seen him play with Anthrax. Of course, he was famously Charlie's. Yes, no, he 100% was in... In Anthrax? Well, time out, time out, time out. I mean, yes, I've seen him play. I've seen him play play in Anthrax, filling in for for Charlie when he was having all his wrist problems. I've seen John Deet fill in. I've seen. Uh, Paul Staff was in Exodus. I know. Are you cross pollinating? No, but I could, I just remember hearing so 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 Tempesta was Charlie Benante's roadie, and somebody stole him. And I thought it was Exodus, but maybe it was Testament. Yeah, it might have been Testament because. Anyway, I think I passed the the, the quiz. You did. You did. You threw a couple in there that I didn't know, so you got extra credit. All right, cool. (laughs) All right, what number are we on? Are we on yours or on mine? No, it's yours because I just did Badlands. Okay. So it should be your three. Number three. The self-titled debut by Faster Pussycat. All right, I'll give you that one. Uh, Number three, though? challenging you number three <laughs> yeah I mean you know is, is, that, talk- is it nostalgic or it is it is, it is definitely because as we talked about the, the second album is definitely more mature their songwriting was leaps and bounds above that first album but you know it's one of your first loves yeah I get the that the album hit hard as the kids say yeah um yeah that was, that was another one where you know where I'm playing in this band at the time we covered like half the album and yeah, I just yeah. I, I think there, there was a couple bands I was in. We definitely did Babylon and Bathroom Wall. We did. We did. We even did No Room for Romance. 
Huh. I have no, sorry, no room for emotion. No room, no room for. That's God. how deep we went. See that that first album, like I said, I think we already covered this, but just seemed real like a novelty band almost because like once you got past like don't change that song which I absolutely fell in love with that song when I first heard it I was like I fucking love and I think I bought the album based on the strength of that and then you kind of fleshed out Babylon which was kind of a jokey song and then uh, Bathroom Mall and I felt like everything and I'm and I know I can you know you say the names of songs and I'm like yeah I know that song but everything else it was like it was almost kind of fillerish and I could be remembering it wrong but and I'm not trying to piss on your pick but yeah I mean the, yeah I mean the second the second side is is definitely weaker uh, well, I'm just sticking with it all right fuck it I'm well I mean it's too late to change it now I'm yeah. just something <laughs> oh all right. It's it's a, a favorite band between the both of us, so I can't say too much. So my number three, and I feel like a fucking complete hipster <laughs> for putting this in, but I absolutely have to because of my love of John Sykes. But and you might think I'm going to say the self-titled White Snake album, that's, I mean, that's but I'm my not. Went. The first Blue Murder album. Oh snap! Which I think, and I'll go out on a limb, and. I will take all comers and dispute the pros and cons of each, but I will say on record the Blue Murder album is better than that White Snake album. For all the White Snake hits and whatever the fuck, and even though Sykes wrote a lot of that stuff and played on it, I still feel like. And here's here's the kicker. If David Coverdale's dumbass wouldn't have fucking fired the entire band, that could have been the next White Stake album instead of Slip of the Tongue, which, as much as I love Steve Vai, I think Slip of the Tongue is a giant pile of shit. But I digress. We're talking about Blue Murder. Blue Murder. That Blue Murder album, the playing and the fact that that was a three-piece, you know, Tony Franklin, was it Carmen a piece? And then... Remember when his brother photobombed us at Nam? Yeah, bastard. Just because he's in fucking Black Sabbath, he thinks he can jump in our picture. Bitch. You got nothing for the Blue Murder? Complete ignorance. Really? <laughs> Complete. Oh my 100%. god. I don't know that, that I've ever heard any song from Blue Murder. That album is fucking fantastic. And I definitely think you're being a hipster, just throwing in something. No, I'm, I'm like, I had to. Like, if we're talking about that genre, like, and what's funny is I remember reading an interview about that album because they did two albums and the second album's got some really good stuff on it too it's not as good as the first but the one thing the fucking quote that sticks out to me and this is so poignant because the Blue Murder album fucking went nowhere like it just hit the dirt and the quote that I read John Sykes said we were not prepared for failure. Because think about it. He just came off, like, the biggest White Snake album. Still, historically, that's their best album. Mm. Probably their best selling, too. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Imagine, yeah, you know. And he was the architect, musically. You know. And the reason Coverdale kicked him out is because he brought in the fucking demo for Still of the Night and the record company said John should sing this. Hmm. 
Coverdale was not fucking having that. So they finished the album. He fucking canned the whole band. He had Tommy Aldridge, I think Rudy Sarzo. Mm-hmm. You know, think about that fucking band and that album. And to th- that's the thing that kills me about singers a lot of times. You know, like Axl Rose, who thinks you know, I can still do Guns N' Roses without the other four magical members. You know, you take that White Snake album, and oh yeah, I'm just going to recreate this. Like, which, to his credit, he had revolving cast anyways. But well, I mean, the, the, the created band looked good, which was part. Of, I actually just I just saw the the Breaking the Band episode, White Snake episode, so it's mm. a little fresh in my head. But yeah, I mean, right, right, he, he fired all these not attractive, you know. Yeah, I mean, he had he had the diff- various creative differences with Sykes, and but just yeah, overall, right, the band didn't look didn't look right. Didn't look like didn't the look band right. of the day. Yeah. which is funny because so he gets a lot of shit for that slip of the tongue record because White Snake, for the most part, was like you know just a progression of what he was doing in Deep Purple, which is just like a blues-based thing. Yeah. So Whitesnake had always been, you know, like a blues-based band, which that 87 self-titled thing was more of that, better and refined. And then, you know, that album is their high watermark, and he fires the whole band, hires all these hired guns, per se. Like, everybody... You know, all the most sought after players and turns in. Like, it's another thing, like we were talking about with what? Uh, Kiss and Alice Cooper. Well, I was said that about Alice, but YT, where it was like, oh, I'm going to th- try and be what I think people want me to be. And he got more shit about that slip of the tongue album than anything because it was like, this isn't. This isn't White Snake, you know. It's not bad, but to try and follow up the self-titled one. But anyways, Blue Murder self-titled number three, fucking fantastic. I I can't conceptualize the fact that you are not familiar with this album. But go ahead. It's also funny <laughs> that, that in the 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 MTV photogenic pretty band, it's funny that Tommy Aldrich. Was was made the cut. Made that cut. I love Tommy Aldrich to death. <laughs> but he looks like but, the singer for Aria Speedwagon, <laughs> who was yeah, not a handsome man. I would yeah, I would agree. So so, so number one, that's that's funny that he that he made that made that attractive cut. Um, also, yeah, right. Obviously, the singles are huge, and, and still the night was the first thing I heard, and I was like, wow, like, this song is, is amazing. Yeah. But yeah, as a whole, even at the time, I was just like, eh. Okay, I mean, I bought it, but I was like, yeah, yeah I don't know, it's we're okay. We're blown away by the and and yeah, slip with the tongue. I didn't even buy. I like heard my friend had it, and I'm like, yeah, this isn't so great. No, it was. I, I mean, I obviously went out and bought it because at the time, and I mean, still, I, I still love Steve I, but at the time, he was like the end all, fucking yep. be all. Oh, for sure. So I was like, yeah, I got to get this. I mean, even though Sykes was one of my favorites as well, I was like, I still, I got to get this fucking album, and it was just like, eh fuck is this shit and go number two Motley Crue Shout at the Devil again hard with the nostalgia slipping in but yeah this was you know one of those first albums that I bought you know, 
saw the looks of kill video it was just like blown yeah. away got the albums the imagery spoke to me and, and yeah just top to bottom just amazing right like I wasn't I'd never heard the original Helter Skelter I mean obviously I read on there that okay this is a Beatles song cool but like mm -hmm. really made it their own it just ripped it in, in, in the way that God Bless the Children of the Beast kind of leads into it just phenomenal you know Tommy Lee's drumming was, was innovative Red Hot um you know all the cymbal chokes and just all, yeah. all you know all the kind of stuff that he that he did and I can't remember I recently read who he stole that from and I can't remember maybe it was Aldrich because Aldrich did it maybe that, maybe that wasn't yeah. Aldrich always did it but during solos and he was like well wait a minute like I'm going to do it in the middle of songs hmm. and that was kind of a groundbreaking technique interesting um yeah just start to finish just phenomenal just loved it to death I had it on vinyl or still I still have my original vinyl so I will say that album is responsible for this entire conversation because up until the point that I heard somebody play Looks to Kill at the back of the bus, like on the way to school, I was still listening to like Men at Work, which I fucking love that band. I still do. I'm going to go see Colin Hay. I was supposed to see him already, but regardless of that, when I heard Look to, Looks to Kill, I was like, what? is that and I had to have it and it was such a thing that I was I've always been a terrible student until I went to college and I was I did okay but like my grades were terrible and my parents were trying to figure out something like you know what if you get you know a B average in Nick's report card we'll take you to the, the record store and, you, and they had like a thing where you know it was the top 10 like you could get three of those for what it was 20 bucks or 25 bucks or whatever and I was like I don't give a fuck and I couldn't tell you honestly could not tell you what the other two tapes were hmm. but the one the most important one was Shout at the Devil and I remember and this is because my grandparents used to send me like as a birthday present they would send me to camp every summer but it was Bible camp so that is not when, a good present well it was but um, <laughs> that fuck in the beginning, good, always a dude. I heard that shit and I was like, oh my god, I fucking turned it off. That scared the living shit out of me. Like, I was like, I'm going straight to hell. <laughs> like, it, that scared me for fucking years after that, just because of you know the indoctrination of you know <laughs> Southern Baptists. Like, holy fuck. <laughs> but I would say, in the, the grand scheme, as far as like the Vince albums, that would be ahead of Dr. Feelgood for me. Yeah. And then it'd be Shout, Dr. Feelgood, and then everything after it. With the Karabi album coming in before all of them. But we've already went over that. And just to, just again the throwback, even on that tour, Vince sounded like Garbage Live. Oh yeah. That was the, that was the tour we were talking about yeah. that you know, the King Biscuit Flower Hour. Yeah. Like, wow. Yep. It's like you motherfuckers should stop drinking before the set. They were just bad. All right, number two. We're going to knock these top tens out. Number two, Slave to the Grind, Skid Row. Did not do well commercially because it didn't have the big ballad on it. Not that they didn't try. I think the ballads that are on that album are phenomenal, but not commercial. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. But the heavier songs, they definitely like. I mean, that was a big fucking left turn as far as from the slick, polished, mm-hmm. poppy hooks of the first album, which I still love. But like living on a chain gang, fuck it. And and this is a big thing that you know. And I don't mean to sound like old fucking codger, but when I say this, but this is the thing that kids won't get today. Like even to the extent of CDs, but when you had either a vinyl or you had a cassette and the band I'm in now, we talked about this cause we're going to do a vinyl. We have to sequence this. So it's like you set up side one, you have a good opener, you got your second track, your third track, fourth track. And that fifth track has to be like, okay, that's the end of side one. And then you flip it over, and side two has to have a fucking banger out of the gate, too. You know? And I feel like the reason I bring that up is because they did that with this album. Like, album opens with Monkey Business. Like, holy fuck, what an opener. And I remember seeing that video and that fucking scream that he does. Like, when it comes in, the only... That scream for all-time greatest metal screams is second only to Mark from Bullet Boys, the scream in the middle of Smooth Up In You, where they do the breakdown. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, where I was just like, if you fucking, like, you have any singer that knows anything, listen to either one of those, especially the Mark one. That guy, holy fuck, man. And I've seen him with different lineups in subsequent years, and just that fucking cat has not missed a step. Like, he can do everything that he's always been able to do, still. So, slave to the grind. Yeah, I, I struggle to not have it in, in my list, and I think part of it was a desire to try to cover some other bands. I mean, I guess in, in to- so I feel like. This, I feel like this, the songs that I love are stronger than songs on the first album, but in totality, it's a little bit up and down for me quality-wise. So, like, you know, in, in, in this whole, I'm not like, yep, start to finish, I love every single song. Like, I don't. I don't, I don't hate anything from it. Um, I can see that. Whereas the first one is, like, everything's, like, real catchy, real good, like... You know, yeah. you don't skip any songs. Like I've, I've uh, maybe skipped Mud Kicker. See, I, see, yeah. we, uh, we, I like Mud Kicker. So, but like Quicksand Jesus and In a Darkened Room, like, you know, I, I don't hate them, but I'm just kind of like, eh. yeah, they're not. I remember you for sure. So, so two, two Rob Afuso specific notes. So first of all, the the Monkey Business video had two two big things in me for me drumming wise. So first of all, it was, a, it was the first time I ever saw cowbell and hi-hats being used at the same time. And I'm like, holy shit, you can do that? Huh. Wow. Interesting. And then at the end, he has the chinas on both sides. Oh, the... And I'm like, someday, motherfucker. Yeah. And guess what? I have, two chi- cool. I have two chinas surrounding my kit. So the funny part about that is I always thought that second album, like, if they would have had, like, a, a drummer that would play double bass like I always felt like Slave to the Grind would have better been a better album which is maybe blasphemy but and I don't mean to talk shit about Rob Fuso, but that album was heavy 
and I don't feel like Rob was like a heavy metal drummer, but well, he then Slayer to the Grind did feature the first double bass in Skid Row. I beg for mercy to get by. Ba, 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 ba. Uh, double bass film. Yeah, I so gotcha. so at a Kiss convention a couple years, like two years ago, Rob was there, and I was getting the album signed, and I don't I can't remember exactly how how the conversation came up. He told me he had to um, he had to dumb down his drumming on the debut album. He like specifically like back it up, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. On Slave, he was able to do a little more of what he wanted to. Interesting. And that's why there there there's, there is more exciting stuff happening with it. Hmm. You know, I guess no, 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 just I'm just thinking on the spot here. Now, I mean, Big Guns actually he does the hi hats. And the snare, the hi hats, and the cobble at the same time. Oh, the, but that's just uh, as an accent. That's not like in the middle of the beat. Gotcha. So just in case anybody's listening, going, this fucking guy doesn't know what he's he talking does, about. He does, yeah. We but but monkey business that. was actually during the beat, not just a four count. Yeah. Interesting. We did. I covered that in a band, and it's a fun song to play. All right. Are we on number one? Number one. I think we're on number one. So I think in general, I. I I guess I realized I struggled with the same sort of thing that you did, which is when you sort of think of this label, there's certain bands, right, that, right. like, I feel like, well, Faster Pussycat should have been my number one glam metal ever, or hair, hair metal band ever, or whatever. Like, the stuff that really, really had the more substantive weight wasn't that one-dimensional stuff. As, Absolutely. You know, it's, kind of, it's been kind of the theme of this whole... Uh-huh. So, in a way, I was embarrassed, and it felt like a cop-out... But I, I, I just couldn't deny it. So my number one hair metal album is Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I, I, didn't, a... I didn't want it to be. And I'm like, well, are they, I mean, are they hair metal? So I really, really struggled. But I, I, cannot, I cannot deny, uh, just irrefutable, as, as you said, top to bottom, just amazing, amazing album. This, this also literally was the album I learned to play drums to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you telling was, me that. Yeah, you know, so so before I got in this band that I was talking about, uh, my sister's ex-boyfriend bought a drum set, and I'm like, oh, like, can I can I try to sit down? And we literally like put on Appetite, and would just would take turns. He'd play one song, and then I'd jump on and play the next song, and that was like literally where I was piecing together. Oh, here's how you do a beat. No, the hi hats do this with the bass drum. Oh, okay. Hmm. Um, so That's yeah, it's definitely super like album. a really. I mean, for what it's worth, I mean. Adler's parts, like I said, there's not a, there's nothing bad on that. So nothing. Everything fits together perfectly as it should. You know, everybody played exactly what the song required. You know. Yeah, nothing super technical, but there was enough catchiness. You know, he used a pretty fair amount of cowbell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in, in a kind of a creative way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much can you say. And 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 another. Another lasting memory. So I had Appetite on vinyl. That was kind of, and I don't, I don't know why I made some of the decisions of like why did I have, why did I buy something on, on cassette versus vinyl? Because I definitely had cassettes by that point. I don't know why I bought Appetite on vinyl, but I did. And this is when I was learning about pornography. And so this same sister's ex-boyfriend said, "You go, so um, you remember the, and again the kids these days? You can't relate to those because it's not, it's not cool anymore. You go to Seven Eleven, and behind the counter, there were dirty magazines." I think there might still be. I don't know. I feel like that's not a thing anymore. Like, it's not a thing at airports. It, it should be. It should. I mean, that was... I mean... It was, anyway, 
you go, you go, you're buying your Slurpee or candy, whatever, and you just you get that glimpse on the counter. And Let me like, get the Wii. You're just like, oh my god. <laughs> and so I begged, I begged, I begged my sister's boyfriend, please, please get me this. It was, it was a penthouse, I believe. Please, please, please get me this. And he's like, all right, give me your appetite for destruction. I'll say I'm borrowing it. And and it was me and a buddy. And I'm like, oh, get, get him this one. And he so he slipped. Uh, must have just an automatic shutdown. So he slipped the two dirty magazines into the Appetite for Destruction ah. album cover. Interesting. Or the jacket. So it always has some some extra some sentimental extra sentimental value. Masturbatory, oh. nostalgic. <laughs> so many memories. Funny. All right. Well, we got about ten more minutes before we got to yeah. run back in here. Yeah. So I'm gonna do my number one. And then if we have time on the way home, we'll uh, bash on the Sirius XM Top 20, because that's what was the okay. the inspiration for this, because their fucking list was so terrible. So, something we've already touched on, but not, my number one, for all the formative reasons, is the first Bullet Boys album. Ooh! Number one. For the same reason... Guns N' Roses is yours. Not a bad song. Mm-hmm. You know, just... And that was... I remember, I've like I've mentioned in the past, like reading the Ted Templeman book, I was like, get to the Bullet Boys, Mark. Get to the <laughs> yeah, Bullet. yeah. You know? And he really didn't have a whole lot to say about them, but I wish you'd have said more, like... Because I think that would have been, you know, to be a fly on the wall while that album was being made. And for what it's worth... I bought Freak Show when it came out because I loved Bullet Boy so much and was completely disappointed with that album because yep. it wasn't it wasn't the first one. Now, having said that, I've went back to that album recently and it's really fucking good. But it was about half strength compared to the first one. But being that the first one's so good, Half Strength's pretty, still pretty fucking good. And I gotta say, like, the guitar tone on that second album is even fucking better than on the first album. Like, I don't know how he did it. You know, Ted Tuppleman did that one too, but I don't know how he got a better tone than that first album, but it is fucking ridiculous. You know, there's some really good fucking songs on that. But like I said, at the time, and there's been a lot of albums lately that I've kind of went back to one that jumps to mind is completely uh, off topic but um, the second Hellman album well technically the third the third album the album after Meantime yeah, Meantime Betty. was so good that Betty was like Ugh. but you go back to listen to Betty now Betty is a fucking solid album I haven't heard that you in a long time but uh anyways I, I got off on a tangent there, but yeah. Bullet Boys. Bullet Boys. Respect. Number one. All right. Shout out to Jimmy DeAnda. Jimmy DeAnda. I've met all those guys except for Mick. And Mick is my favorite one. You know, which makes it suck all the more that they're not going to be here. That they canceled Rock Timber. Sons of bitches. Fly all the way to Minneapolis to see their goofy asses and they don't show up. The news broken just last week on Jimmy DeAnda's Facebook Live. 
some bitch. Anyhow, this might be the end. This might not be. We might get to the other shiznit. So, peace out for now. <laughs>
actually. I, I already know there's going to be at least one band that I know, well, two, that neither one of us had anywhere near any of our lists. There's a lot more than that. So, yeah. And number 20 being a big one. Number 20 is Scorpions. Love at first day. Scorpions came out of the 70s. Like, that's why I did not include Van Halen. I thought Van Halen was like a, like a starting point for, you know, hair metal. Like, even Led Zeppelin a little bit. But they're not. So I didn't put them on the list. I should preface this by saying this is... The people who listen to this station that voted some morons yeah I mean like I said it's on my preset but I find myself turning the channel more than anything and I wish they'd have like guest DJs so they could fucking pick out I mean they're no better than a fucking top 40 station they just play air they play yeah. all the fucking bullshit that you would have heard back in the day like I don't hear that stuff I hear some deep cuts some off bands, maybe. Some boomer. Yeah, they play Corpus once in a while. Yes, they do. Fucking that much. Screaming in the night. So Scorpions. Not even fucking a hairband, so. Like, maybe they weren't spandex for, like, a short amount of time. Maybe? But I, yeah, I, I agree. They just, they just don't fit at all. Yeah. Your feet do smell. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's on the record. I took my shoes off when we got in the car. Um, so 19 is another band we, we name-checked. Again, not a fucking hair band. Queensryche Empire. I mean, if you're going to pick a Queensryche album, it should probably be... I mean, Empire's good. Empire's real good. But is, this, is it as good as... So, not only did you pick a band that wasn't a hairband, you didn't pick their best fucking album. So fuck you on number 19 and 20. Number 18, we got a left slide because it's Skid Row by Skid Row. So, that was in uh, one of our lists. Number 17 is Poison, Open Up and Say Ah. Which I would have to say, of the three classic albums, I mean, just overall, like, I don't think there's a single Poison album, maybe Native Tongue, because of Richie Cotson's involvement, but the production, there's not a single album that had good artwork. Yeah. Like, okay, the first album's iconic because it's the first album, but... Because they had those hot broads on it. The hot broads, yeah. But they could have done better. Open up and say, ah, was that the second album? Yeah. Terrible artwork. That was the absolute fucking worst. Like, who let that get by? Yeah. Horrible. Not so that, I mean, there's some good songs on there. You know, the hits and whatnot. Unskinny Bob. Bro, Unskinny Bob is Flesh and Blood. Is it? So, we'll go to Flesh and Blood. Because Flesh and Blood, I think, has some of my favorite songs by them. And probably the better production of the three. So, Fallen Angel. Great song. Great that, song. That one is... Ride the Wind. Oh, 
was a great song. I think you're better played. No, Flesh and Blood had... Fallen Angel. I thought it was open with Seah. I know the song of the <laughs> I thought that was not open up with Seah. Alright, we're going to solve this right now. I'm opening Spotify. Thank you. Right, okay. it's definitely Flesh and Blood. Search history. Roast. <laughs> yeah, so I have no fucking help. Right there. Got no fucking Okay, you're right. Fallen Angels, I don't know what I'm saying. But I also had. Nothing but a good time. Fantastic. Fantastic song. Uh, Fallen Angel. Fantastic. And then you had Every Rose Session Sword was on that, which... Yeah, I guess, that, I guess that's what the idiots were there. <laughs> yeah, the idiots. So, let's go to... I just, yeah, I just, like, so it's like plus one, plus one, plus one, but then minus five for your mom no dance. Yeah. Saw, but didn't 
listen back to them and kind of kind of wonder what I saw. But we'll uh, go ahead. Uh, number eleven, Slaughter, sticking to you. A handful of tracks that I really, really love. But yeah, overall, I don't know. Just I think it was good for the time. But other than that, you know, I still love Loaded Gun. I couldn't tell you other than Up All Night, which is a fucking ripoff of Chris, a Kiss song. I don't know. And then Fly to the Angels. The obligatory ballad. So, number 10, I will give this like a half credit because this was this band's last good album. But, I still don't think they qualify as a hair band. Def Leppard, Pyromania. That's the band I wanted to talk to you about. Let it rip. So, I first heard them. Fulham was the first song I ever heard. And I fucking loved it. Oh, hold on. Maybe I heard Photograph first. I don't remember which came, which came out. In what order. I think it was Photograph. It was okay. Alright, so maybe I heard that and I was like, okay, hey, that's pretty good. Fooling. I was like, holy shit. This is amazing. Amazing. I buy Pyroman set. I didn't like it. Really? See, I like the, the non-singles off that album better than I like the singles. I mean, just for, you know, because they were saturated. But, like, Billy's Got a Gun, Stage Fright, the songs are, there's some great songs on there. And on previous albums, more so. So they had a lot of stuff on High and Drives and a lot of stuff on All Through the Night. They, they reached their pinnacle with Pyromania, but went on to just be this fucking schlock band. Oh my god. I can't stand anything at the party. So, so we're, we're, we're in sync. Uh, after, shortly after the, after the Pyromania stuff, I remember we were like on vacation, and I saw on MTV, I saw videos for bringing on the heartbreak. Or ache. Yeah. Ache, break. Um, and me and my wine. Me and my wine. And man, Jesus Christ, I fucking love both those tracks. So the stereo's coming, I'm so excited for it. I believe, well, first of all, okay, yeah, I'm a drummer, right? Fuck electronic drums. Dude, drummer loses his arm, fucking boot him out of the band. Fuck him. Fuck him, you're done. You're done, son. Fucking done. Obviously changed the entire sound of the band, but, but yeah, just, and, and obviously, I mean, Pyromania has a sheen to it. Uh, but, I mean, it was but, still but, lame, but so. it's still, you know, it still had, it still had some teeth. Yeah. I feel like Hysteria had no teeth at all. Yeah, it was just, it was complete loss. And, and, and it was kind of one of those things where, like, even as a, as a relative youngster, I'm like, okay, here's one chorus. Rocket! Yeah! Here's the next chorus. Women! Yeah! Yeah. I'm like, does anyone, does anyone else hear this? Yeah. Well, and, I mean, Phil Collin, the guitar player, I've listened to him on podcasts, and, I mean, he's a fairly intelligent dude and nice enough, but he said... Like, you know, we were trying to be like the hard rock Michael Jackson and making that up. And I was like, okay, fuck you. Fuck you, you succeeded. Yeah, fuck you, you succeeded. (laughs) That shit's terrible. And number two, why would anybody ever fucking do that? Like, Michael Jackson is Michael Jackson. He's good in his own right. You know, we put on a wormhole there, but I'll leave that one to itself. Don't. Why? Why? I think they did it all for the nookie. 
Come on. Alright, that's my plan. Okay. We're pretty much in sync. Um, don't blow the hole, Grant, just yet. So, number nine is Warren. Dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking rich. Which, in the pantheon of Hair Nation, I, that's right about where that goes. That seems high to me. Grant, I mean, I, I guess it's a cheesy town. I mean, I love heaven. Absolutely loved it. One of my first girlfriends. I just like I just wanted a girlfriend so that heaven could be our song. And I bought her the cassette single. But she dumped it. She was like, the song sucks. We didn't we didn't last long. Yeah. Yeah. She lived like on the other side of the tracks. It was scandalous. Southside. It was all Southside. She was like <laughs> twelve blocks away. I was like, holy shit! Like you don't go that far. Not even on a bicycle. album in its entirety, and I couldn't tell you whether it was in sequence or not, I don't know, there's some decent songs on that, like, but I mean, I think their pinnacle is like Uncle Tom's Cabin, which, for the sheer naivete of the fucking title, they should be kicked in the fucking asshole for, like, come on, did you really name the fucking song Uncle Tom's Cabin, and it wasn't about slavery, because there's a book Jackass White Boy. Overall, overall, I find that second album to be terribly weak in general. Well, and, I want, and I wanted to love it, but I, I don't. I didn't, and I don't. So the funny thing is, is like the song that they fucking just got tattooed for, like being the worst of the worst of the hair metal, being Cherry Pie, the most vapid, fucking shallow song, was like an afterthought. They like acted on and that became like the fucking flagship yeah awful pile of shit shout out to Bobby Brown uh yeah is she dead too no she's not okay she's actually a comedian now I bet she's not funny I don't know I'll cut that <laughs> edit that out <laughs> alright number 8 is Cinderella Long Cold Winter wow two two Cinderella's yeah, in there's there not, that's surprising so yeah here's the thing there's some That's pretty high for the exact reason you gave before from another album is because of the placement of the ballad. Yeah. Don't know what you got till it's gone. Right. I would, if I had looked on the Spotify, I would bet money that that's the song that has the most plays. Oh, it got to be. So, that's why that one landed so high at number eight. Yeah. Number seven is Poison. Look what the cat dragged in. Might have been your number seven. <laughs> it might have been. It might have been. So we've already uh, validated the inclusion of that. Now here again, another fucking band already been on the list. Not a fucking hair band. Not that you 
can't enjoy other music, but come on. Queen's Rike, Operation Minecraft. And obviously I didn't look ahead because I was already bitching that if you're going to pick one, it should be that one. Which I'm sure Queen's Rike purists would say something like, no, you should pick Queen of the Rike, but they're hipsters. I did like that single. So, yeah. Operation Minecraft. Fantastic album. But, yeah, not one of the best hair metal songs. Yeah, once albums. again, not for, it's a thinking man's album, and like that's not a trademark of hair metal. Yeah, like I'll say. How do you go from Look with the Cat Dragon to Operation Minecraft? Yeah. It took her once a week on the auditory like it's not a good fun. Yeah, those are a little heavy lyrics for nothing but a good time. Number five, one of yours. Motley Crue shot the devil. Nice. So, we're into the top five. Number four is Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood. Which I disagree with, but... Number three, once again, Bon Jovi. Slippery when wet. Police reported ahead. Oh, shit, the police. Oh, oh. I was trying to snatch my cops. So, another Bon Jovi. That one, I mean, that makes sense that it'd be that high because that had like all their hits for the most part, you know, living on a prayer, whatnot. Like, I could take my time and name check all that shit, but the brain's starting to shut down after waking up at 4 30 a.m., which it is now midnight Eastern. I guess I, re- I originally I did like Wanda Dead or Alive. time, and my problem with Bon Jovi, so, like, yeah, those guys had the hair and whatnot, but they were, like, they were a pop band. Kind of how I feel about Def Leppard after Pyromania. They're a fucking pop band. But, once again, they get lumped in there. And, I mean, didn't they go on in the 90s to make, like, fucking country albums? Like, fuck out of here with that shit, John. And how does John get rid of Richie Sambora? Yeah. He don't take the same Yeah. That's just fucking stupid. I mean, if the band wasn't named after him, he'd have to change the name. You get rid of Ricardo Sambora. Also, he hosted a cruise, but he didn't stay on the ship. He just got helicoptered on and then left. He did. John Bon Jovi did? Yeah. What cruise was this? I did some Bon Jovi cruise. Showed up and then left. Yeah, he did whatever his thing. What a dickhead. That's a pretty dickhead move. Like, what else was on the fucking cruise if John Bon Jovi wasn't? His fucking soup kitchen?
had a number one. Because, and wait for this, number one, number one, fucking hysteria by Def Leppard. What a steaming pile of glossy shit. Fucking awful album. And they put so much work into it, and it's such like a fucking landmark album for them. Like, really? That fucking thing is awful. I'm sorry. Like, I don't, like, not one redeeming quality. Can you think of one? Hate it. Hate it. Two thumbs down. The milk is going right. <laughs> wish I had two more thumbs. I get them titties. Idiots. 